So welcome back. Uh, today we have Faith and Leah. She's here. She doesn't want to participate though. So I was just like, people, y'all know that she's here though. But you know, she doesn't want to talk. We'll just not. She doesn't have to talk. She's just here to watch. I guess. Yeah. I, I guess she's into that. She's very voyeuristic. So Faith, uh, tell us about yourself. Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, like, do you want like like the like the. Like, you know, personal ad rundown, the professional rundown, or just... Tell me what would be on your Bumble. On my Bumble. Ooh, okay. All right. I'm 33. I, uh, I'm Jewish. Uh, and I love to cook. I love to sing along to Missy Elliott in my car. It's not really basic right now. Uh, I'm a musician. I'm a singer-songwriter. Uh, I was a labor and delivery nurse for... Near a decade, and then became a nurse paralegal, legal nurse consultant. So that's the professional side. Uh, started playing tennis recently. You know, I'm just all the interesting things I put on my bumble about how well rounded I am. What is a nurse? What did you say, nurse? Legal nurse consultant. What is that? I've never heard that before. So I analyze medical malpractice lawsuits for the defense of hospitals and doctors. So I review the medical records depositions, any, you know, official documents, and I build a chronology that essentially is taking, you know, thousands of pages of medical records and consolidating it into, you know, around usually 15 to like 60 pages, depending on how bulky it is, uh, to focus specifically on what is identified as the allegations in the complaint that's filed. And then I take notes and essentially work to identify, you know, alternative causation, um, find any other factors that were contributing risk factors, uh, things like that, and help with forming the arguments for the defense. Wow. That sounds like a very um, big girl job. Yeah, yeah, it's a big girl yeah. job. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, um, so on these malpractice things, do you see? Do you read a bunch of fucked up shit that's happened to people that's not the doctor's fault, or is it usually the doctor's fault if it's malpractice? It just depends, honest to God. It just depends. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're looking at something and you go, you know, this is unfortunate. I mean, yeah, I see. I see stuff that's crazy. And then I see stuff that I'm like, somebody's actually sound over this. Okay, that's wild. But um, obviously I can't go into case specifics. Right. But, um, yeah, I would say sometimes it's, you know, you look and you go, this was a risk. You know, nothing could have really prevented this. This was just something that happened. Other times you go, eh. You know, somebody has some fault to some degree, whatever extent that is. And sometimes, you know, it's a combination where maybe like, you know, different staff members in addition to physicians may have, you know, obviously some level of fault there. So just it's case by case. I got you. So you you read the cases and then you decide as you, what your opinion is, is that or I'm obviously taking the mm -hmm. facts that are presented to you and you judging your opinion. Mm -hmm. So when when you do that. Is, is that what they go with, or is that just one of the steps in the process? Of It's one of the steps in the process. Uh, you, of course, you know, a plaintiff has the burden of proof. You know, they have to be able to prove that something happened. And then we, of course, are going to then hire experts to analyze it. So I would review it, say, like, here, you know, I'd build all the documents and say, here's what I think, you know, here's what I'm saying. And then I would find nurses or doctors who would then review those records as contracted expert witnesses, which is actually how I got into this. I was doing expert witnessing on uh, birth lawsuits for a couple of years before I went in-house with the firm. And I actually just switched jobs. I'm now with a company based um, out of Ohio. 
I'm going to be working remotely. But um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Back to the original question. ADHD, and I did not take my meds today. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Hmm? I went off on a tangent. I don't even know what my uh, question was. <laughs> the question was. I'm just listening to what you're saying, though. Oh, I mean, oh, I, I'm oh. Very interested. Oh, is it one step or not? Yeah, so then I would, you know, identify what kind of experts, you know, help the attorneys, like, you know, Suggest like, hey, I think we need this kind of expert and this kind of expert to look at this. Um, and then finding, helping finding those people and they would review it and give their opinion. And, you know, obviously you're only going to utilize somebody who supports your position mm-hmm. um, if they can't, you know, because the thing is, once you give your disclosure, um, if you're going to be used, you have the possibility of being deposed or going to trial as the expert witness. So the last thing you want to do is put somebody on the stand who can't stand by, you know, confidently stand by mm-hmm. your argument. So um, we do, we work with that and I work with um, communicating with those people uh, and assisting as needed with the attorneys with that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's uh It's neat, but, you know, I think that some people think, too, like, oh, you're just trying to get people out of trouble. And the thing is, that's not – my job is simply to look at it and go, okay, do I see any problems here? And I always, like, play devil's advocate. I'm like, what might the other side say, you know? And uh, if I think that it's something that, you know – you got to own up to, you know, that's, I got to let my attorneys know, hey, like, you know, this is, this is going to come up. This will be a problem or, you know, no, there's no problem here. So it's not just getting people out of trouble. It's also helping people know when to say, hey, like, we should probably just, you know, take this to mediation and settle, things like that. Um, sometimes, you know, it's something where you go, you definitely don't want this to go to trial. And sometimes you're like, if they take this to trial, like, good luck to them. Yeah. Because we got this. <laughs> yeah. So the, on on the other side of that, like, don't people... That you, when you guys try to settle or whoever whatever the position is, right, try to settle the claim, are they trying to settle as quickly as they can because they know if they go to trial they're going to spend a lot more money? You have to pay out a lot more money. Um, that's like that's very complex, but no, I, that's that's not typically the nature. I think that that's always a possibility in any type of uh, lawsuit. You know, like mm. so, there's always going to be cases where like you're just like, uh, yeah, no, like there's no point in even arguing this further. There are things where you look at cases and it's obvious, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, there's a problem here. Um, so in that situation, yeah, I mean, why waste time? You know, I guess. Uh, but you know, most of the time, I wouldn't say it's a hurry because the thing is, like with medical stuff, you got to realize that these are human beings pre- that are fallible human beings that are imperfect. To you know, even experts can't be perfect 100% of the time. We're not God. Yeah. And so you're looking and saying, did a human being make a human mistake that was a likely thing that could happen? Like, if they did make a mistake, or, like, was this just something that can happen with the body in this situation? A lot of stuff is written out in consents. And so, you know, obviously you don't sign a consent saying, yeah, I mean, cool, if I bleed out, cool. You know, like, but you also are acknowledging that that is a risk factor based on the nature of whatever procedure you may be having, things like that. Mm. So, I mean, there's always levels of looking at that. So there's not really a black or white answer to that when it really is case by case. But it's never, you know, it's people aren't just trying to, like, cover stuff up. Honestly, I found in the med mal field, like, it's really, really earnest people. It's the attorneys I've worked with. Um you know, the firm I worked for that I've worked for as expert as an expert witness that, you know, I've met that were co-defense. Um, everybody's been really lovely. And there's, you know, it's never been this gotcha attitude or, you know, cover tracks attitude. It's always been very earnest about 
what is the what is the most practical and right thing to do in this situation after reviewing it from a completely expert level. So, do doctors and nurse practitioners have to carry their own malpractice insurance, or is that provided if they work for a hospital? Does the hospital pay for that stuff for them? So, nurses, at least where I, everywhere I've worked, nurses are covered by the hospital. Um, nurse practitioners in most hospitals, at least in Tennessee in the Memphis area are because I've only practiced here, but um, they typically are with like a group that is contracted with the hospitals, and so that company would carry their insurance. Oh, okay, um, and then providers often have like individual or group coverage. So, like, if you were a physician for like UT, you know, you're probably going to have an attorney like that's assigned to like handle like. UT's physician group, um, you know, if you're, you know, like, I'm just thinking of like Memphis area, like if you're like a specific hospital, like, and something happens, like you're going to use, you know, an attorney from whatever firm that hospital contracts with and offices. Yeah, so, um, but nurses themselves do not carry their own, like just an RN with an associate's or bachelor's degree does not carry their own insurance, but doctors do have so how many? Well, how come a lot be, a lot of people become a nurse instead of becoming like or a nurse practitioner or, or instead of becoming like a full blown quote unquote you know doctor? Because I've heard nurses do ninety eight percent of the work, and then the doctor comes in and signs the signs whatever the you know the paperwork or whatever. Um. So. You know, our doctors are awesome. Uh, like, th- there is a level of that. I mean, they definitely do more than that, but it's not like what you see on TV. I've never seen a doctor insert a catheter or start an IV in my entire life. <laughs> in fact, I think if I asked one to do that, they would probably look at me with, like, deer in the headlight eyes, like, what? <laughs> but um, so for me, and I think for a lot of nurses, well, first of all, obviously, medical school is insanely expensive, so I'm sure that that is a barrier for some people. That is true. Um, a lot of my friends who are doctors, you know, like, I think what we have to realize is that the jobs that made our parents' generations a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, don't necessarily make that level of money to our generation, and we are also expected to be a lot more available with technology and everything in our world is instant gratification, instant communication. So these doctors work their butts off. Um, and they tend to have a lot of, you know, unless they were fortunate enough to have somebody cover it or had, like, an awesome scholarship, a lot of them have student loans to pay off probably into their, like, 40s. Um, so that's, I think, one element. But I think that when it comes to personality, um, a lot of times nursing is very, like you said, it's very at the bedside. And so your interaction with the patient is different in that you kind of create their experience day to day. Um, the doctor's going to write the orders, but you, unless it's surgical or procedure, which some procedures we do perform or assist with, um, really the nurse is the one carrying out all those orders. So like we're the doctor's hands, eyes, and ears when they are not there. And they are there during rounding or if there's an emergency. Like I was labor and delivery, typical day in a private hospital, which I worked in for five years and then I worked at um, the med for three years. Um, typical day, like at a private hospital, though, your doctor's going to come in in the morning, like round on the patient. If it was a scheduled induction, you know, they're already there. We've got their IV started. They're ready to go. They're going to check and see if it's time to break their water or not. They'll go ahead and break their water at the time that is appropriate. Um, they may come round again at some point. They often have patients at other hospitals, so they're kind of back and forth. So you may only see them like one to, you know, 
three times typically during a 12-hour shift for your patient um, while you are in your patient's room multiple times a day. So I just think it's um, more about what level of patient interaction you're interested in. Um, And for me, I don't know that I would have gotten the satisfaction out of being a physician because I really am a people person and I really love being at the bedside. And when my patients came in, I love knowing that it was to a great degree on me to facilitate what kind of experience they were going to have that day. Like you're there to have a baby, in my case, when I was at the bedside. And, you know, most of the time that's really happy. Sometimes it's obviously very tragic. But regardless of what their situation was, I always walked into that room going, okay, this is a fresh new patient. Um, I'm going to feel her out, get to know her, kind of figure out what kind of role she needs for me today. Does she need, you know, strictly just like the nurse? Does she need me to feel also like a friend or a sister or a mom sometimes? Sometimes people come in with no support system. And identifying really what that specific woman needs that day and then spending the rest of your day not only physically caring for her but emotionally and spiritually caring for her in a way that somebody who's not at the bedside doesn't get to do. I think that nurses don't really get enough credit for their role in really creating that person's experience during their admission. Yeah. Cause you know, like you just said, you guys care for the patient from when they're there till when they leave, right. With mm-hmm. the baby. But like, if you're not, if you're not a good person to the person that you're serving, like if you don't have that, then maybe you should be a doctor, right? Because then you know, <laughs> then you won't have to see the person Then you won't have to see the person, but a couple of times, like you said, or whatever. Right. right but right. like it definitely, I, you know, they, I definitely do believe that, you know, positive attitudes and stuff like that in, in that kind of environment definitely make a difference. And if you're just like a, you know, a fucking emo doctor or, or <laughs> nurse, and maybe that's not for you, you know, <laughs> Like blow your bangs out of your eyes. Yeah. Like, Welcome to having your baby. It's yeah. <laughs> this dark world. <laughs> but it's just like, you know. Break into like, you know, my chemical romance song. <laughs> so what made you get into nursing? Um, so, okay. Well, so I went to, I went into college during the recession. I graduated high school in 2006. And um, originally my major was going to be psychology or anthropology. And then my dad is like, hey. So, I love you, but I don't want you on my paycheck my your entire life. And, you know, no telling exactly when this thing is going to blow over, but it would be great if you got a, a you know, if you did a major where you were definitely going to have a job when you get out of college. Because <laughs> I had friends that were, you know, several years older that were going to law school and being like, yeah, you know, I'd apply to go in with a firm, but, you know, I think I'm going to wait tables for a while because I can't get a job anywhere. So, it's like, okay. Like, my friends who were in business, law, you know, all that stuff were like, dude, like, he's right. Pick something where you can get a job. Um, so I ended up going into nursing because, you know, my interests in psychology and anthropology obviously were people and their minds, the way they think, the way they feel, um, the way the culture, how people, different people experience life. And so I live in a major city. Um, I'm going to, as a nurse, like I said, get to care for people psychologically every single day. And I also am a caretaker by nature. And so it was like, okay, this is great. Like I can care for people at this multifaceted level and feel like I'm making a difference and also get to like talk all day and I don't have to be still, which is very difficult for me. So I did very well being on my feet all the time. I really want one of those standing desks now that I'm not at the hospital so I can like move. Oh yeah. I've seen those on Instagram and stuff. Um, Have you always lived in Memphis? 
Pretty much. We moved back. My dad's from here, and we moved back here when I was in third grade. Oh, what okay. about you? Me? Uh, no, I was born in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Cool. Okay. And uh, we moved here when I was, I can't even remember. It was just when I was nine or 10. Okay. Whichever, right? I'm 40 now, 41 now. So, okay. you know, I've been here more of my life, obviously more than my life than I was there. But I still remember stuff from there, you know, like mm-hmm. when my cousin will send something to me and stuff like that or ask me about somebody. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember or my mom would be like, hey, do you remember this kid? And I'm no. like, yeah. And, you know, you so. get on the phone with the cousin and all of a sudden you break out in the offer cons. And- no, no, no. I no. was, uh, oh, we were already <laughs> here before we started, they started teaching me Afrikaans, but my, Oldest brother and my parents speak Afrikaans. Very cool. Very cool. What about you, Tony? You're from here? No, I'm from Nebraska. Okay, cool. But I've been here since 91. All right. Yeah. Okay. How so do you not remember back. when you moved here? Because remember, we moved back and then we came back. So, so when did you move back? I, remember, I don't remember when we first came here. I was a little baby. <laughs> You're not a baby, man. I said I was little baby. You were a, a young child. Uh, I can yeah. remember back to like kindergarten. Well, I can't. I'm telling you, uh, we were talking about this. There's something in my mind that's drugs. A, it's a void. <laughs> it's I have drugs. a I have a void in my in my brain. I can't remember everything from a long time ago. Can y'all? One hundred percent. I'm a woman. Leah, Leah, <laughs> Leah. Any wrongdoing? Yes. <laughs> any wrongdoing? Somebody kicked me on the playground, bitch. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that's Leah, odd to me. You can't remember stuff like that. Leah, what was that? <laughs> what was that, Leo? She, she, she's smiling and she said, yeah, she remembers everything. You remember everything? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's stupid. You know I don't forget stuff. I was talking about from like childhood. No, I, yeah, from childhood, I definitely yeah. remember stuff. Yeah. I don't... Mm-hmm. Maybe... I'm still pulling that stuff out of my mom and sister. We get into a family argument. I'm like, remember when I was three? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I have holes in my that, brain. Maybe. They have scans for that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, I feel like that would just be like the most depressing thing ever. Like, you feel like everything's great. You just go do this this cool brain scan. They're like, you have three months. <laughs> they're like, yeah. also, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there's um, lots of holes in your brain. <laughs> and then you're going, I don't really want to know what made them. Oh, I know. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure I know exactly what made mine. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eating a bunch of uh, X and oh, doing no. a bunch of Coke. and Oh, no. Yeah. Winner. I'm a winner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So how'd you get into singing? So actually, after uh, I, my sister and I actually were family performers. Okay. Like, yeah, like the Von Trapp family singers. <laughs> like, no. Um, we would put on, uh, we were like nerds who like loved watching musicals. And so we would like growing up put on performances for my family, for my parents. And, uh, you know, that was about like the extent of it though, was just, you know, singing for my mom and dad. And then I went to nursing school and I had like no life during my clinical years uh, of nursing school. And I got out and I've always been a really big into music. My parents are both really into music and grew up going to a lot of concerts with them and listening to a lot of records. And so music was always important to me. And I always loved to write. I was really into creative writing my whole life. And so uh, when I got out of nursing school and I had like all this extra time I had not had in years, I thought, okay, well, I don't have to study when I get home from the hospital and I don't have to prepare care plans. 
and I'm off like four days out of the week. So what am I going to do at that time? And so I decided I was going to learn to play guitar because I had taken a songwriting class in high school and, uh, I could write songs like because I knew like the you know the composition and everything like you know like how to structure it, and so I would uh, I would do that for fun, but I couldn't play an instrument. So I was like, okay, well I'm just gonna teach myself to play guitar so I can sing because I love to sing. Mm-hmm. I mean I enjoy playing guitar, but really I just learned to play guitar like so that I could sing and write my songs. And so yeah, I started. Um, I learned like three chords from one of my guy friends, and just started like playing repeatedly. I just would just, you know practice switching between those chords um, until I got the dexterity to move a little bit more quickly. And uh, wrote my first song a couple months in, and started going to open mic nights. And that was like my first goal. It was like okay, I just like want to write a song and sing it in front of people. And then the next goal was like okay, I want to like play a show where like I headline. And then it was like, okay, I want to put out an album. And then like, it was like, I want a tour. And now I've done all those things. And I did realize that I like to perform and I love to record. And I love being in a room full of people watching me put on my show. And I love to do it in Memphis. Mm. I don't love the touring. I love to travel, but I like to travel for pleasure. And while singing is pleasurable, being cramped in a car that you're spending a lot of money to rent for the week with like the same few people like in a different city every day it can be a little bit exhausting and so like super kudos to my fellow singer songwriters and musicians out there who are you know loving that life because it you know I think even when you enjoy it that definitely you know takes a toll on you you get tired by the end yeah. what <laughs> was you, your oh go ahead do you like that the digital age though has it where you can just put yourself like on YouTube and Spotify and stuff like that Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because the thing is, you know, when I like when I record stuff and I very much am in the mindset of like it's, you know, if I wasn't if I was a painter and I enjoyed painting, I would probably put my art on my wall, whether Mm -hmm. somebody else wanted to buy it or not, because it's my art and I want to look at it. Well, so with my music, I want to hear it, but I like to hear it, you know, actualized the way I have imagined it being in its full in its fullest, you know, most voluptuous song form. And so um you know, I think I would enjoy recording, you know, even if nobody else ever listened to it because it's like my piece of art. It's like my painting. It's my, yeah. you know, it's my audio painting. So, um, yeah, it's neat because then I can put it out there. And if people want to listen to it, it's super accessible. You know, most people aren't buying CDs anymore. So it's out there for consumers. But, you know, it's always also available to me if I want to, you know, stroke my own ego and just listen to a song. How do you go about putting your stuff on um, iTunes? Um, okay, so I use DistroKid, which is a company that's really awesome. It's like a small, a smaller company, um, and they've grown over the years. But I pay like a annual fee. It's not not expensive. I mean, I think it's like under ten bucks or something. I don't. Even, yeah, it's got to be under ten bucks. And whenever I have a product, I, you know, send it into them, and I pay like a certain amount for that prop for like for that album to be distributed each year on those various markets. So they, um, they do iTunes, Spotify, they do, I think, Tidal, uh, Apple Music, Amazon, you know, all of those. Mm. And so you pay them a fee per album to maintain it on those each year. Okay. On those platforms, yeah. So there's like a lot of like distributor companies like that, distribution companies. Do you have a lot of music that you've written that you haven't recorded yet? Um, yeah, actually, I started uh, recording four new songs back 
uh, in April of 2019. And then, the, you know, I kind of needed to save up money because I self-fund all of my stuff. I've done a couple campaigns in the past, but the majority of my stuff has been, you know, primarily funded by me. And um, my, my dad has helped me here and there. It would be unfair not to give him credit. Um, but, yeah, so I needed to save up the money to go back, and then the pandemic hit. So, yeah, because it's expensive, yeah, like real expensive. I remember when we had Tori Hudad on here, she was telling us about how expensive it was. Remember, Tony? Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, she she has like people trying to like, hey, come sign with us. and But then she loses all creative control of everything she said. That's why she just mm-hmm. does one song, saves, and then records it. And then, you know, does another song, saves, and build it up. And uh, she was telling that to us. Um, would you ever go back on tour? I would, um, but it would have to be uh, where I was not coming a few thousand dollars out of pocket, mm. <laughs> which was like, you know, probably like 50% of the time. I got you. Were you, was it just you or, or did you have a band? Like, I had my band going with me at that point where it got expensive. What but was my yours? music. Huh? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was, I, I, when I was touring by myself, it was when I was doing much more of like my singer songwriter stuff, mm-hmm. um, like very acoustic, like folk stuff. And as I developed as an artist and wanted to explore more sounds and styles, I really felt that I needed the band there to support the way I wanted my music presented. And that was when it got expensive. And that was when it got exhausting. Because when you're spending a lot of money and you're, like I said, you know, covering hotel costs and food costs and gas costs, and you're tired because you're waking up after being up late every night and getting back in the car and, you know, crammed up with, you know, for for dudes, you know, it's it it's uh it's a little uh, it's a little bit of a lot, but um yeah, I think that in the right situation I would do it. Um, and I'm like down to do like one offs. Like I would love to. Like I have places where I do get people out and you know have you know friends where I can stay more affordably and family things like that. Like Birmingham, Nashville, Chattanooga. Yeah, I'm down to do one offs. Uh, New Orleans, I get you know. I've got some good gigs there. So, like, those cities, if I could just go do, like, a weekend run, it'd be one thing. But I just don't see myself going and doing, like, you know, one to two week even stints right now at this mm. point in my life. Um, maybe we should try to get you to get Matt Anderson to uh, put you on at um, Rail Garden. There we go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You know, I have not booked anything since the pandemic, so I need to get on that. <laughs> Where are some places around town you played? I typically play at Bar DKDC. The last oh, okay. few years, that's been my kind of my home base for my yeah. gigs. Yeah, I play a, I play a lot at the Cove. Um, yeah, but DKDC the last few years has been kind of my my go to. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think where that bar's at. It's next to a Beauty Shop. Yeah, it's where we went. Oh, you didn't go with us that day. Oh uh, yeah, I did. One of Karen Carrier's places. Yeah, yeah, I it's did a go. Great with, bar. I did go with you guys. That's where um, Marcella. Yeah, Marcella, Marcella. I'm a girl. Uh, I have like such a girl crush on her and she knows it. She's one of my friends and like I always tease her because the first time she asked me to hang out, like, you know, like, you know, like go out and like hang. I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm like, Marcel, I think you're so cool. I'm like, yeah, I want to hang out. Yes, I would love to get dinner with you. Like, she's just so cool. I'm a huge fan girl and I love going to her shows. And What is your writing process? I usually get like some word ideas before I get chord ideas. Mm. And so a lot of times it's like while I'm driving in my car, so I like pull it out and like hit a voice memo and then try to, you know, I'll get like a little melody in my head and 
or just words, you know, and go and think about what feeling that elicits. Do I want something that, you know, is really in a minor chord or a major chord or am I going bluesy? You need to hit those seven chords. And so, yeah, I structure it from usually from a lyric point versus starting with, you know, the, the music structure. So when you wrote Sugar, what was the inspiration of that? So, okay. Hi, one second, I'm sorry. How do you know that? Because she told me who the girl, what her name was, so I looked her up. Oh. And her music's on iTunes. And oh. it's on, uh, I posted a story. Wow. And oh. one of the songs I posted on there, man. <laughs> I didn't even know you were coming over till. Oh, bitch, Last please. night. <laughs> wow. You're so full of shit. Wow, Raul. On your mother's life. Well, I didn't know she was coming until, well, do you, we do remember that you said something last week that she was going to come this Saturday, and then yesterday you confirmed the time of 2.30. But yes. I, I, I didn't, I'm sorry. You know, it's me. What do y'all expect? I just thought, I like, I, I, I'm a little hurt. I kind of thought that y'all had been like singing my shit in the shower. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, very, I'm deeply hurt. Um, uh, no, it's, uh, so yeah, Sugar, I actually started writing, uh, that was actually one that I came, so, okay, there's some things where I sit down and I get this idea for a song and I just bust that puppy out, like, within an hour, mm-hmm. you know, start to finish, song's done. And, like, those are actually some of my favorite songs, typically, because, like, you know, the muses just really got you by your guts at that point. So uh, those usually turn out well for me. Then I have the ones that, like, are half a song or just, like, a chorus mm-hmm. for, like, two years. <laughs> and they finally get finished. And some of them are still sitting in songwriting purgatory. But um, with Sugar, I actually, I guess it was, like... Early 2015, I I was kind of shifting the way I was writing, and I was trying to – I really love soul music, and so I wanted to write some songs that were, you know, authentically me and not really grabbing for something different or that far out there. But I really like kind of like that classic style. Like I love like Otis Redding and Etta James, and so you have that like three, four kind of waltz feeling, and that actually you – you can do that in country music. You can do that in soul music when you look at the classic stuff, that dun, 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 you know, kind yeah. of style. You know, that's why you can mash up uh, I'd Rather Go Blind with Tennessee Whiskey. Okay. Look at how easy this translates musically. So um, genre to genre. So um, I wanted to, you know, kind of do a little bit less of a folky thing. And so I was like thinking, I'm like, okay, like if I'm, you know, writing that way i've only ever written this type of song but so let me see how that goes and i wrote the chorus and i can't remember what made me think of it i wasn't dating anybody and i was like totally single and um i had always written like really sad love songs and i remember thinking i don't remember where i was when i came up with the with the chorus but i remember thinking like i want to write like a happy love song because everybody always like gives me shit they're like okay taylor (laughs) (laughs) shut up um, I'm just like very inspired by my feelings and being burned. Um, so I decided I was going to do that. I came up with, you know, the chorus, which is I come down. Uh, <laughs> I'm like trying to think of my words. I come down with come undone, uh, come to God through the fire of your love own honey. That sugar is all that I need. So I came up with that. And then I think I like sat on that song. Like I had nothing. I would sit there and I'd play it. And I had the chords and everything, but I was like, I have no idea where to go with these verses. And then I got into a relationship and I dated this guy for a good couple of years. And um, I guess like about like six months into our relationship when I knew I loved him. 
Mom, I love him. Uh, <laughs> I guess I decided, you know, I was going to like finish writing this song and I felt inspired and I finished writing my first happy love song. And so, yeah, I wrote it about him. Mm. Yeah, because I noticed you mentioned Otis Rez and that's the vibe I got when the song first starts playing. Mm-hmm. It's like really like um, Otis Redden ish. Yeah, and, like, and we really wanted that like Memphis horns feel. Mm. Um, so actually, um, Art Edmiston and Mark Franklin have both played on um, both of my full length albums. And it was really great getting them back in for Lessons in Falling because they just, you know, we wanted, we, they were only on a couple songs, I think, on my first album. And so obviously with this more soulful feel, we just like peppered them in all over the place. And I think they totally give that album the vibe that I love about it. Yeah. <laughs> Who were some of the people that inspire you? Um, musically? Yes. Uh, Linda Ronsat. Okay. She's, she's Bay. Um, I knew all the words to her greatest hits by the time I was like five and like, I would be like little bitty and my mom would be like driving down the mountain and I would be like singing along to like some like terribly sad Linda Ronstadt song, like getting in my feelings. And I just remember her like looking at me because I think she like was like, oh my God, look at my like dramatic child. I'm like sitting there like (laughs) eyes full of tears, like singing like long, long time. And just like so deeply hurt by Linda's pain in her voice at three. And I just remember like loving music so much because of her, because she just made me feel so much, even as a small child, before I even knew what love or heartbreak, you know, outside of my parents felt Mm -hmm. like. And um, I think she kind of made me fall in love with music because she could affect me so viscerally. And I thought, how beautiful is it for a, a song and the way words move with music to be able to culminate to such an internal experience so she was like a big one and then you know like i said otis redding at a um at a james uh janice joplin uh, i'm a huge fan of Margot price um you know it's ma- mainly women um <laughs> so uh yeah I'm trying to think of like everybody i'm like let me pull out my list of everybody <laughs> i like we'll talk about them all who are some local artists that you love? Okay, so like I said, like huge fan of Marcella. I love Nick Black. Um, he and I have actually been friends for a long time. He was my first guitar instructor. And when I, after I'd learned a few chords, I was like, man, like there's some things I don't know how to do. Like, you know, I've learned all the, you know, majors and minors and sevens. And then, you know, he showed me how to do more than what I was really capable of teaching myself at that point and a little bit of music theory that I needed mm-hmm. and um, really helped me out in my early, you know, songwriting with that. So um, he's always been near and dear to my heart and also really just enjoy his presence on stage. He's a really good time to watch as well as having a really great voice. And that's what I like. I like, you know, I love going and listening to like a singer songwriter. And then I also love like, the way somebody can perform you know somebody's got a great voice but also is just fun to watch is two different experiences so he and marcella are very much that to me um gosh okay so uh kate lawson like never plays anymore which breaks my heart but she was like one of my favorite people like singer songwriter wise in the area to watch she just had this beautiful beautiful little heartfelt voice and was a really great songwriter and I always tease her that I'm going to have to start covering her songs because I'm sad I don't get to hear her <laughs> sing them anymore. So, and then I loved, uh, you know, it's weird because it's like, you know, y'all are asking me this and we haven't gotten to go see live music in over a year. So I'm like, man, I feel like, 
you know, it's hard to recall, like, all the people I want to see, because I'm like, who's going to be playing? Are people still going to be playing? Um, oh, I love the Memphis Dolls when they were here. Um, big fans of theirs. But, yeah, I would say Nick Black and Marcella are the ones that, like, if I'm if they're playing a show, you're likely to catch me there. Mm. What makes it about music that you're so passionate about? Because I can definitely tell you're passionate about it. Um, I think that... <laughs> at least for me, like the writing process itself is often like very much a journal and a way to process my own feelings. And I think that I figured that out because before I could write my own music, I was utilizing music to work through my feelings. So I think it's really great that as an artist, you can therapeutically use music for yourself in a healing way, but that that product can reach other people and do the same thing for them, despite the fact that they were not writing it from your experience. And sometimes people take things from songs that aren't what I was feeling when I wrote it, but that ability to translate over to somebody else and for them to get a sense of comfort from it mm-hmm. or rela- you know, relatability from it um, is something that I think is really, really special about music. I think that it, that really applies to any kind of fine art, though. So, Is this somebody currently like locally or anything like that, that you want to, that you would want to do a song with? Y'all like, I don't know, write it together. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I want to, so Ryan Peel, actually, um, Kevin Houston um, produced and engineered my first three albums. And um, on my last one, he and Ryan Peel actually co-produced it. And I really, um, Ryan is like super versatile. He can, if you, if I go into him with a song and say, hey, like I wrote this and when I'm playing it, I hear it being, you know, it just sounds like typical faith, like these three chords, you know, the same kind of ending. It just feels very, you know, folk acoustic to me. This is what I want to go for. This is like what I'm hearing in my head. I just don't know how to achieve it. Um, And he's able to go, oh, got you. You know, and he tends to like nail it exactly like the feel I'm going for. So um, he actually is who was producing and Kevin Houston was still engineering the four songs I was recording back uh, in April of 2019 that I need to finish. (laughs) Um, But I'm really interested in actually writing with him some too, because uh, we had started on a couple things that we have not gotten to finish. So I would like to finish those with him. And um, I've actually written several more songs since then that I'm interested to take to him. So, yeah, he's somebody that I am excited to continue to collaborate with and release this project with once we get it done. But I think I might, like, you know, steal Tori's idea of, like, you know, doing one at a time. That may be a more cost-effective way to do it. And plus, people are Mm. so short attention span these days, you know. It's, you know, almost better to put out singles. Yeah. Why does it? Why does it cost? I mean, I have no idea about music, like anything like. But why does it cost so much to do, like, to make a single and so, or whatever it's called? What am I asking? Trying to ask Tony. I don't know. It's your question. Yes. Uh, well, that's my question. Then, like, why does it cost so much to like do this? Like, I can tell you why it costs so much for me. Is it the studio time? I guess that you're paying for. Studio time is really expensive, definitely. And um, you know, and and the studio, you know, you can make great products at home, but like the great thing about a studio is often those places are obviously set up to have great, you know, acoustics. Um, they are soundproofed in ways that are able to capture you singing with like no other like you know resonance or anything else around very flat where they can do what they need to if they want to put like reverb on those vocals if they want to you know tweak anything they're able to do that so when you go to a studio you're obviously getting 
those aspects of it, the structural aspects of it that are compatible with putting out good music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nice. But, you know, it is something you, you could do at home. But I think, yeah, studio time is big. Uh, but for me, it's um, I think it's important to pay people what they deserve to be paid in this industry. Right. Um, you know, you would not ask a plumber to come spend all day at your house and not pay them for their time and their, their value. You would not, you know, expect to go sit in an attorney's office and have them draft, you know, spend the day working with you through drafting up all the paperwork for managing your estate and not pay them. You know, this is a professional career. Um, and while for me, it is more a function of a hobby and a passion for many people, this, this literally is how they pay their bills because they're damn good at it. And Mm -hmm. so it's important to respect them as professionals and to appreciate them for the fact that without them, my music would not sound the way it does. Yeah, I, I need them to make my art the way I hear it in my head. I can't do it by myself. So I think that the cost comes down to deeply appreciating your fellow local artists. And I've gotten the opportunity to work with some really, really, really phenomenal people that um, I feel fortunate, you know, I didn't have to pay even more than what I did, you know, and I always think it's important to pay people at like, you know, the best going right, mm. you know, not try to cut deals, even if they're your friends, because they are your friends. You should appreciate the fact they showed up, stayed in the studio with you all day. Yeah. So that's, I think what comes down to it's, it. For me, it's often my artists that I'm paying this and more expensive part, you. but it's worth it because you want the best because they're fucking incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you, um, like, when you and your sister were younger, did y'all ever enter any contests or anything like that? No, no. Oh, I don't know. I mean, oh, no. Like, I'm talking like, we're like standing there like in our pajama oh, pants, okay. like doing like bust a move or like singing, you know, like the hills are alive with the sound of music. So, you know, it's like, it was a variety show I got you. that sadly did not gain much traction in the main media, main street media. So, <laughs> well, what I was thinking was, I started thinking when you were talking about that earlier, I started thinking about like Selena and her no. whole entire family. And yeah, no, I was bullshitting when I said that we were like a family, a family singer group. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I was just bullshitting. We just made up like dance routines and like, you know, would perform for mom and dad. Have you ever fucked up a song when you were singing it live <laughs> yes. and you just keep on going? Like, duh. Is that a common thing? I mean, yes. oh, okay. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, but I have found I used to like get so anxious that I would like, cause I like, I really do. I I have like, Oh my God, I used to have like killer anxiety on stage. Like I'm taught my fucking ass off. Obviously I never shut up, but, um, I get up on stage and I would be like literally shaking. I couldn't stand to play music for a long time because my legs would start shaking so bad. Cause I have really bad anxiety, which like nobody realizes, but it's cause I've gotten really good at masking it. But, um, I'd be up there and it's like, Oh my God. I could talk into a microphone with you all day, but at that point, if I had, like, sing, my legs would start shaking uncontrollably to where they were, like, I mean, it looked like I was having a spasm. So I'd be, like, sitting there on the stool. So, uh, yeah, I found that when I would mess up and I would make this face that was, like, oh, like this big grimace, like a suck, (laughs) you know, that was actually made it really obvious, whereas I started realizing, for example, like, when I got out of college, I had these, like, several friends who were, you know, singer songwriters who were playing locally, like, you know, pretty much any, every night of the week. So I got to know their songs really well. So I would notice if they messed up mm-hmm. because I knew their songs really well, but most people in the room didn't notice. So I was like, Oh, well, I should like quit making that face. And like, you know, apologizing for myself, being a human and making a mistake, like hitting an extra string or hitting the wrong chord and just keep going 
because most of the time people are drinking and they don't know your music well enough to notice. And if you call attention to it, then it's like, you know, right. nobody really cares anyway. But then you just feel embarrassed. Is Do you have like when you were performing and touring and stuff like that, did you was that like a routine you did before you went on stage to help you with the anxiety? Um, it got better over time. Like I used to, so I used to, um, the first couple of years, at least the first year for sure. I think by like year two, yeah, I was putting out my first album. And so like, I was a lot better about it, but I would not sing into the microphone. I'd come over here. Mm. I'd like go to the side because I was like afraid of the microphone. Like I didn't want to project myself that much. So, um, that got a lot better over time. So I, I didn't really need like a lot of preparation. Once I finally got comfortable with myself enough and like realized that I was having fun doing it, um, I didn't really have to prep, but I usually get a gin and tonic or a glass of red wine and sip on that while I'm setting up and yeah, then I usually have a, you know, a second. <laughs> Where was your first show? Oh, God. Like, the first time I ever sang in front of anybody, like, my first show, like, it was, like, my show. Uh, first time you've sung in front of anybody, I guess. Okay, uh, at Dublin House, open mic nights. There was pint nights on Mondays. Oh, it's across from Blue Monkey, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so El El Elbow Nail. Yeah, yeah. Where... Oh, Blue Monkey on Mid in Madison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. I forgot about that place. It was, uh, yeah, it was like an Irish pub called Dublin House. And this guy that I was like, oh my God, a cock block. <laughs> we dated, and like he was like my first muse. And then I cock blocked him for like a solid two years in my early 20s. Like now I look back, I'm like, God, you were cringeworthy. Fuck. It's like behavior that you just look back on and you're like, oh. Oh, you know, you don't realize how much you've grown in your 20s. So you reflect back on those moments where you like, <laughs> we're always there. <laughs> but <laughs> he was running this open mic night and uh we were also in the same group of friends in my defense but yeah no it's uh he started this open mic night and um it was every monday for a pint night so like we would just go and like all you know drink pints until it was your turn to go play and uh they actually did it to me they knew I had started playing, and I hadn't even written my first song yet and I knew this song by Jenny Lewis and the Watson twins and uh, that I taught myself, and it was like the first song I'd ever learned. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, he was like, and next up, we have Faith Rock. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. I'm good. I'm like grabbing her butt for security. There's like, there's a, for y'all who aren't here, there's like a, like, um, what do you call this? Sex doll. Well, no, but, but what do you call this? This material. Oh. Silicone? The silicone. There's like a silicone ass and, and, and <laughs> pussy. Can I say pussy? Yeah. It's a silicone ass and pussy in front of me. And I'm like, keep grabbing her butt. Because she's got a very shapely ass. But um, anyway, I got nervous telling the story. You know? <laughs> it's like, I'm it's, like being re-triggered. That's by, your comfort. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it's less awkward than grabbing my own in front of y'all. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, they, they, they put me on the spot, and I was, like, so nervous. And I went up there, and that was when I first had my first uh, public conniption on the microphone, you know, my leg jiggling. Uh, looked like I had a tick. <laughs> <laughs> the neuroses have set in. <laughs> so how long ago was that? That was... Let's see, I started playing... I started teaching myself to play in April of 2011. So that was... Like May or June, 
of 2011. Oh, it was about 10 years ago then. Uh-huh. Yeah, well. I'm still no great guitar player, but like I said, I taught myself so I could write songs, and then I, that's why I am happy to pay yeah. <laughs> people yeah. exactly what they are worth <laughs> to come and, you know, put their stank on my stuff because they're, you know, the the wealth of talent here musically. I don't have to tell y'all. I know I don't have to tell Leah. Uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> there's nothing else like How it. How did you know... Um, what your first single was going to be like how did you know this is the one out of the how many you had like this is the one you wanted to release first so um my two full i have like an ep i put on in between them um which i regret that ep but anyway my first two length full my first full-length albums i actually had the songs all already written and went in knowing i was going to record them you know in bulk and so um, once we finished them, obviously we had like the end product, like listen to and decide which one, you know, we thought really stood out. And when you're, sh- when you're putting albums, like when you're putting albums, when you're putting songs on an album, uh, at least the advice I got, um, was to make your first three or four, like the ones that you think are going to catch the most because in, you know, this day and age, most people attention span wise or like being in the car, wherever they're going, don't make it past like song four or so. Mm-hmm. And then end the album with a really strong song. So usually it's going to be one of those four or five, you know, if those, if you feel like those are your strongest songs. So we figured out what those were. And then we thought, okay, like branding wise, like what's going to catch the best right now, like within the market and the genre you're targeting. And so, um, on my first album, there was a song called PBR Song. And I actually wrote it. I spent, like, a ton of time uh, in college and right after college at Neal's, the original Neal's over oh, on yeah. Madison. In fact, my first album is called 1835 Madison, which was the address of Neal's before it burned down. Mm. And I actually, it was after it had burned down, I did this album, and I actually commissioned a painting um, of, like, a watercolor of the old Neal's. And so... When it was finished, I actually went and gave one to Neil. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, love you. But yeah, so um, I was spending like a lot of time there. And I wrote that song about my nights in college with my college boyfriend, who was a musician. Um, I've dated a lot of musicians. I've, I've sworn that off since. Um, but, you know, he was a musician. And uh, I would go up there and and drink and I had a guitar but I hadn't learned to play it so there's this line about like you know drinking PBR while you play my guitar because I was like you know college and you know PBR was like the best I could afford and it was solid it was a solid beer for a good price and so yeah it was that song was about my nights up at Neil's like that had really inspired that album so it kind of seemed you know Bashir to like do that did you have a lot of groupies <laughs> um, yeah, I do. Um, and I'm sorry if they listen to this. Um, but they're like, I have a lot of old man groupies. Mm. I'll be one. You want to be my old, you yeah, be my old man groupie? Oh, sure. What's up? What's, what's up? up? How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to draft up a contract on yeah. stipulations <laughs> of your, your groupiness. Um, yeah, but I, I have like a group of like old men. Um, <laughs> That come to like every show, uh, and they're great, and I appreciate them. So those those are my groupies, and they've never uh, they've never been anything but like super supportive. Uh, you know, one of them actually started a songwriters night in the round here in Memphis that is still going on. It's been going on for years now. I guess probably since around 2015. 
And, uh, you know, he's always, he did that and he really gave me a place to play early on by doing that. So, mm -hmm. you know, him just liking me as a person and liking me as a songwriter kind of opened up the door to exposing me to more people. So his, uh, his name's Mark Parcell. Mark, I don't think you're old, man. You listen to this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he actually started bringing a lot of his friends to my shows and they have been like super, super consistent fans. So, yeah, my, my groupies, they, uh. They may be old enough to be my dad, but <laughs> they're also a solid group of dudes like my dad. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, not to say that everybody at my show is a bunch of old men. It's not like some like old, like gray sausage <laughs> fest. It's like a bunch of gray bearded sausages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but th those are those are the people I can say really have supported do you, me. Do you know where the uh, faith show is? Oh, you just follow those old men over there. <laughs> yeah. It's like that website I told you about, Blue Man Pill. Oh, yeah. Blue Man Pill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we oh, get. God damn. That was fucking. If it looks um, like a Cialis convention, it's my gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doggy. Have you um, have you ever written a song for somebody else? Like for them to sing? Yeah. No, but I have some that I bet I could sell. Mm. I, I really do. Okay, I, I, I hate like contemporary pop country, except for there are like occasional songs that I like guilty pleasure on, and I don't want to talk about it because I like feel like really <laughs> elitist and snotty about like the shit that is the current country music industry. Because um, I just feel like Pat C. Klein and it's like rolling around in her grave, like ah! like you know, just trying to like pull her ears off. But um, I hope that noise didn't come out really, really offensive on this podcast. But. Uh, so yeah, I do though. I, I have on occasion just been like, I'm gonna write some like super, super like radio country song. Mm -hmm. And I've written a few of those. I swear to God, I could sell those. I swear to God. What's the process <laughs> to sell music? Get it in the right person's hands. <laughs> Connection, who you know. Really? Yeah. I say that. I mean, I guess you could just be like so incredibly mind-blowingly badass that, you know, it's that easy. But frankly, I listen to the shit I hear on the radio and then I listen to the shit that I hear when I go out to see live music in Memphis and I lose more and more faith in whether or not it actually has to do with your God-given talent because the people I'm hearing in my backyard are a lot better than what I'm hearing on my radio station. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to who you know. Obviously, you know, Nashville's a great place to be. Uh, for that industry as a songwriter, unfortunately, it's become a situation where the cost of living is no longer a blue collar, you know, yeah. town. It's a white collar living town, but, you know, thriving off of the product of people that are getting paid blue collar rates to make these white collar people their money. So, mm. oh, it was. Yeah. So last week it was Epic that was telling I'll shit on Nashville all day. Let's go. Yeah, it was uh, DJ Epic that was telling us that, you know, I asked him, why don't you go play up in Nashville since it's wide open? He's like, because there's 300 DJs up there doing it for next to nothing when I can just play my out of my, my college tour that I'd be doing, you know? And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And he's like, cause they all just keep on undercutting each other because there's so many of them. They all trying to get work. Right. No, it's true. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are working there as musicians and they are funding like themselves. But I mean, like my very best guy friend in the world, he's like my brother, like, and uh, he's a bassist, and when he's not playing on cruise ships, which obviously right now he's not doing, he plays gigs, you know, in Nashville. And uh, he lived here for a long time, and he lives there now. But, like, the last, you know, several years when he's lived there, when he hasn't been on the ship, he's playing sometimes, like, non-pandemic. He's playing, like, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, weekends, th like, two or three three-hour gigs per day. So sometimes he's playing, like, six to nine hours of music straight. Mm. 
Jesus. a day. And like, I mean, he, you know, he covers his cost of living with that. So, I mean, it's possible, but shit, I mean, and he loves it. I personally would not enjoy playing music six to nine hours a day in order to pay my bills. I mean, my fingers would hurt. Yeah. I don't know what you, Poye, I don't know how you keep your fingers right, but I'd be crying. I would really be crying. <laughs> well, it's like, the, it's like the casinos, um, the casino, like the bands they book for the weekends or whatever, the mm-hmm. four nights, they play like 10 hours yeah. each night. And, but they get paid really well, but you're working your ass off for the money. Right. So I was like, I like like a nice, like two hour, three hour gig. And then I'm good for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. That just sounds like a lot. 10 hours to play music. Yeah. Well, that's what we were talking about. But Epic last week. You oh, yeah, he plays five hours. Yeah. I mean, like, I love playing music. But, yeah, I mean, it, as a career, if I had to show up for, like, a, if, if my shift was, like, a work shift every time I played, I don't know that I would appreciate it in the same way. So I definitely appreciate the people who do, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't want to get covered in amniotic fluid for 12 hours every day, and I went in willingly. So, you know, yeah. everybody's got their thing, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How do you... um I'm sure this happened to you, but like when you have like writer's block, as they say, what it's called. Yeah. Writer's block. And like, how do you overcome that? Or what has happened? All of a sudden it just, you just get it. I fuck off for myself. I just, I stop trying to force it. And I just go do something else that brings me joy or brings me energy. Like, um, I may go do something active. Um, because sometimes if I'm, you know, walking my dog or if I'm, you know, I'll go, you know, hit at the ball machine, like at the tennis courts or something like that, where my mind can kind of wander. And sometimes I'll get a thought, like I said, like that at that time, like I said, like a lot of times that's when I'm driving in the car because it's, you know, I'm not having to think really about anything else. Um, But I'm also not in a position where I'm sitting there going, I have to get this done. I have to write this. So if I sit down to write something and I hit a roadblock I've learned that I only get frustrated trying to force it out of myself or I end up just changing that line later because I end up feeling like, ugh, you just came up with that because you couldn't think of anything else to put there at the time. I got you. So then sometimes I'll, I'll do that and it's fine because it's just like filler space until I come up with the right words. But yeah, I've, I've learned to just like completely drop it, leave it, walk away and come back when, when, the, when the song bug bites again. Because for me... Yeah, trying trying to force it out never results in anything I'm pleased with. I got you. It's got what's that? What's that Arthur's name that they made the book after uh, Game of Thrones after uh, George R. Martin? What was that? George R. Martin. She's here, guys. She's here. She's here. She <laughs> fell for it. I knew she would know that too. Leo, you might as well put on the headset. No, she, okay. She said no, but you know, like he had. Um, he, he couldn't finish the book. That's why the show went ahead of him, you know, eventually or whatever. But it's like, and he still hasn't finished the book. And he's promised everybody he's going to finish the book, which do you, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't think he, I don't think he's going to finish the book. He's like, fuck it. And he like old as shit. Yeah. I think I, I definitely do think he's older for sure. I don't know how old he is, but like. I don't he, either. But like, I don't think I personally, I don't ever think he's now he just signed a five-year deal with HBO to keep on working on their spinoffs and shit oh they're gonna do spinoffs yeah like they've already developed like two or three really yeah oh i'm i'm intrigued i hope that they don't end them as poorly as they have the game of thrones yeah that was uh bran really he's a fucking weirdo yeah <laughs> i just stared at you know i what i like to do is i watch uh 
I'll watch a whole season in like a weekend because I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't wait till the next week when it gets released. That's, yeah, I, it kills me, right? So like, I, I do that with shows. So then everyone, I always see these pit, these memes of Randa staring at everybody. I'm like, what is? I just wonder what this means, man. And so then I got to stop looking at Facebook so much because otherwise I was gonna fucking know that Aya killed the Dragon Knight or what Night King. I mean, you know, and shit like that. Which, yeah. If you have not watched Game of Thrones, tune out for now. Spoiler, yeah, spoiler. we just kind of told you all, like, the best parts. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> or, or considering I was talking about the last episode, the worst parts. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, Tony said that it was pretty funny because Tony was like, I thought I was watching like a gag reel at the very end. When like, they were sitting at the table? And yeah. they all started laughing and shit. You I was, know? Like, I was like, so pissed. Yeah, it was fucked up. I was like, oh, man, I just waited. I spent six or what, seven years of my life to finish this like this. I thought that I was like, did I miss something? Because like, I think we had like DVR'd it or whatever. And like, I, I kept thinking like, did we like miss something? Is this like the cast sitting down, like just like talking and joking afterwards? Yeah. yeah. They it's phoned weird. that one in for sure. That was ridiculous. I was and, so disappointed. And, and yeah, I think the whole country was disappointed, or the whole world, I should say, because we waited like, what, a year and a half, or almost two years yeah. for that season eight or whatever it was, right? I thought they were spending all that time coming up with something really mind-blowing. That's what I thought, though, too. Only, yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I was kind of like, I used to be like super, like, die hard, like Daenerys Targaryen, but then, like, by the end of the show, I was kind of glad they killed her off because she was kind of going. Well, that's what, yeah, I, you know, in the show, you could see where she's going crazy and stuff. And that's why they probably had to kill her, I think, right? Yeah. Because she was going to kill yeah, everybody. she was going to be like the Mad Queen. Yeah. Power hungry. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, like, she was, like, my favorite character in that show until, like, the last, like, season or something. I was like, oh, girl, you got weird. You had to let it go to your head, man. Isn't that how it always goes, though, right? Yeah. You know, start gaining power and start killing people at random, fire dragon, just burn some people up. Are you watching anything currently that you like? Yeah, God, I've, I'm going to be honest. I used to like never watch TV. And then in 2016, I got a television for the first time, like in my adult life. And it's been all downhill from there. Um, I'm like super into period pieces. So uh, The Last Kingdom and Barbarians, which was I think in German, but it has like totally fine subtitles. And I'm like... Ugh. A serial killer, anyway, who watches everything in subtitles. Who doesn't, though? Thank you. Okay. He's bitch ass no, doesn't. That's fucking weird. He doesn't. Oh, you know what, Tony? You're fucking weird. <laughs> exactly. I might be, but he's that like, is like, he's weird. like, he's like, well, how do you pay attention to what's going on in the show? Bitch, I'm watching the show and I can see the subtitles. I'm that good. Well, he can barely read. So that's <laughs> the main issue. He's like, pause, 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 pause. pause. <laughs> but you know, like, the dog. <laughs> I love it, like, when we're watching a show. And it's for say like it's they have like a Memphis scene or something like that, and it's people from Memphis and have subtitles for people from Memphis, like, and we can understand it like perfectly. And everyone's like, "What they say? What they say?" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I I can't do it. I gotta have the subtitles. I'm glad that you're with I, me on I that. I have to. Do you, Leah? Do you watch the subtitles? Blink. Yes. Shows? Like just like yeah, English shows. No. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. See. It's weird. But um, yeah, I'm try- like I'm trying to think of what else I oh. Oh, Jenny and Georgia and Jenny, Jenny and Jenny and Georgia was really good. I watched that recently. I thought that was hilarious. Um, What's that about? It's about this. uh, Okay, so. Huh? Adult Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it's like adult Gilmore Girls. But it's like, okay, uh, what was this one that had Christina Applegate recently in it? Dead to Me. It's kind of like a Dead to Me vibe. It's like funny, but like dark humor. Um, And, okay, it's this mom who has a daughter when she's like, 15 
and she and her daughter and now her son moved to a new city up north and she's from like texas and she has a very twisted kind of dark disturbing past from being a kid raising herself with like a young child um but she knows exactly how to she's kind of like she's essentially a con artist Mm -hmm. and it's about her conning her way through this new town um to essentially give her kids a good life and then like her daughter is going through puberty her daughter's like you know 15 at the time uh, so around the same time she had her and it goes into, you know, her life and she's, you know, kind of getting involved with the, the bad boy neighbor kid and who's in good. this show. Uh, you know what? It's nobody. I, uh, it was not any actors, actresses I was familiar with. Whereas dead to me, you know, had like Christina Applegate and, uh, what's her name? The girl from freaks and geeks and, uh, and, um, grandma's boy. Uh, I can't. Where's my phone? I feel like Lizzo, where the hell's my phone? How am I supposed to get home? Let's see. I'm gonna look her up because that's gonna like make me so annoyed. Did you like did you ever watch Freaks and Geeks? I think I saw a couple episodes of it. <laughs> From what I remember it was good. It's really good. You need to go back and watch like the full season. It was only one season. Oh, okay. But it was great. It was like um Seth Rogen and um, James Franco's in there James too. James Franco, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, what's that other guy's name that's from um, Saving Sarah Marshall? Or Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Um, oh, Jason something is name? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Yeah, you're right. It's Linda. That was an easy one for you to remember. <laughs> Linda, Ca- Linda Car... Linda Cardellini. Mm. Linda Cardellini. She was also in that live-action Scooby-Doo that came out when I was in eighth grade. What I miss? We're talking about Freaks and Geeks at this point. Oh, I heard that's a good show. It's a really good show. I can't believe you haven't seen it. Mm-mm. Man, y'all are disappointing Have you me. Seen it, Tony? I've seen a couple episodes. Came out in '99. Sorry, I got I got my extensions. <laughs> my extensions are itching. There's so much TV now. It's like hard. <laughs> you, to yeah, you have to choose something and just stick with it. Otherwise, you're gonna yeah. now go. It's not like when we were. Well, I say when Tony and I were younger, because you guys are much younger than us. But like. We could watch, like, say, Roseanne on Tuesday night on terrible mm-hmm. show on whatever channel. It's a great show. Terrible. You know what Roseanne? I like Roseanne. Yeah. Thank you. I bet you like Big Bang too, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I mean, you we the have subtitles and Roseanne. We well, have. Just we have, Roseanne was like on TV when I was growing up. You uh, know? We have been on the same wavelength <laughs> up till right now. You haven't signed your contract yet. I Big know. Bang is terrible. It's like, <laughs> have you watched it without the laugh track? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you make me watch it without the laugh track, and you ruined it for me. With so that. no <laughs> subtitles, no laugh track. <laughs> fucking fascist over here. <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's like, well, he's so he'd be eating dinner or something like that, and he and so he was like, why aren't you laughing? I was like, I didn't find that. He's like, because it's not funny. Fucking loser, and he started calling me loser. And he's like, "This fucking show sucks." I have to sit here. I have to sit here and watch that dumb shit because you have it on the TV. I don't want to watch that stupid shit. I was like, "Well, then don't watch it." Because the shows I watch, I actually laugh out loud. Like I, when I, I love Curb. I love Seinfeld. Like those actually make me laugh. And he's just watching like a mute. I'm like, "How is this entertaining?" Yeah, you know? I'm trying to. Th- you know, like, what's the other show that's kind of like Middle America? Um, I like. I mean, I the shows that make me like really laugh. Though. I mean, I, I'm. I'm gross. I, I have a really crude, vulgar sense of humor, honestly. But I love, I love, you know, like South Park. And have y'all seen? Um, oh God, what is South it? South Park uh, is great. What is the uh, Big Mouth? Have y'all seen Big yeah, Mouth? Yeah, that's great. That's great. 
That's a good idea. I want to be the hormone monstrous yeah. for Halloween. But like last year, obviously, we like didn't have Halloween. Halloween was canceled because of the pandemic. But I want to be like, what is her name in it? Um, oh, it's Maya Rudolph's character, the hormone monstrous. But she's always like, I'm going to go take a nice bubble bath and cry. <laughs> I love yeah, her. Yeah, that show. <laughs> I haven't seen like all the seasons, but I think I've seen like two or three of them. And I, I like that show a lot. Oh, yeah. It's fucking hilarious. I, I've got to do that. I've got to be the hormone monstrous for Halloween. Do you, have you seen that show, Leah? <laughs> you, uh, what, what was that? <laughs> I should make a dude go with me and be the hormone monster and carry furry dicks in his pocket. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Um, do you watch like WandaVision and stuff like that? I did, have not seen that yet. It's actually really Is good. Is it good? Yeah. Okay. I've, I'm to the last episode. I love and, like anything Will Ferrell though. So yeah. it's like, cause he's, what's Will Ferrell, isn't it? Uh-uh, no? uh, this is Marvel. Like Marvel. Oh, WandaVision? Wa- oh, Wanda. Wanda. Yeah. Wasn't there like some like WandaVision or some movie that came out recently that had like, um, Rachel McAdams, it, Euro, it was like a Eurovision spoof. I don't know. It was. Okay. That's what I thought you were talking about. No, um, I actually, okay. I, I gotta tell you, man, like, Throw your earphones off if you want to. It's fine. I'm like, I don't know shit about about hero stuff. And I don't know shit about thank you for joining us. Getting points again. Thank I'm, you for joining us on podcast number sixty-nine. Okay, so I've seen a couple of the like, and don't shit on me because like I don't know Marvel and what's the other one? DM like D, DMX. DMX. He just, <laughs> man, he just died. RIP, my bird. Not, uh, what is the other? Uh, not DC. DC, DC, yes. A lot of people don't. Everyone thinks it's the same. Are they the same as the, who made the skateboarding shoes? No. No, okay, well, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know the difference in them. I've seen a couple X-Men movies. I saw the god-awful Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. He is so not hot, so I don't know why they chose him. If I wanted to watch Kirsten Dunst make out with somebody upside down, I expected him to be attractive and not dweeby, but. Um, Damn. Yeah, and then I saw that really bad. I saw that really, really bad Superman that had like Parker Posey in it. And um, is that the one where the baby stopped the desk? Oh yeah, I the piano, know. right? Wasn't oh, it? Yeah. yeah, in the ship. I think I that don't it, know. Brandon Hart. Hor- it came out when I was in like high school. Yeah, yeah, that is that one. That yeah, terrible. Um. So yeah, I haven't seen. Oh, I did. Um, I recently saw um Iron Man, and I thought that was enjoyable. Good, good. Yeah. You're back. You're, we're back. Yeah, we're I saw back. one and two. Nice. I thought Pepper was adorable because I like Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Oh, have y'all seen The Politician? That's another show that's really good. Mm-mm. It's very good. Leah's nodding. She's still being quiet over there, but she's nodding. It is great. It's really, really good. She's in it. She plays the mom. Leah, say something. We're not going to say anything until you say speak. Say something. Mm. I'm giving up on you. <laughs> but no, I, I, love, I like all that stuff because I um, when I was a kid, I used to read comic books a lot. Okay. I used to spend my $1 on a comic book mm-hmm. and that was it. I dated this guy in high school. My parents like super fucking hated and like for good reason. And I dated him for five years. I was like the bane of their existence during that time. And um, he would like, wouldn't read like real books. Well, he would read like Stephen King. That's not true. But like he was like super into like the Neil Gaiman, like Sandman Chronicles and stuff. Mm. Like these graphic novels. I remember my dad would be like, why can't you date some? He's a grown ass man who reads fucking comic books. (laughs) And I was like, daddy, they're graphic novels. (laughs) (laughs) And that is about the extent of what I know about comic books. (laughs) Tony, what are you doing over there, man? He checked out on us because I, I said I, I didn't watch fucking action movies. Oh, I don't, I don't watch that stuff either. <laughs> Do you, um, have you seen Jojo Rabbit? Yes, it was so good. 
oh my god that opening scene where he's jumping up and down with hitler and they're getting all tickled with each other i was like okay this is about to be a really twisted movie but it was funny as hell but obviously you know also had those you know heartfelt moments but i thought that was a really good movie have you seen it it was yeah that was probably one of the best movies i've seen in the last couple of years actually I was. It took me like forever to watch it because one time I was watching streaming it and it froze and then went on freeze yeah. and then I forgot about it until like mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Actually, uh, speaking, you know, you talk about Jojo Rabbit. Like, um, have you seen? Uh, did you watch Hunters? It came out like the beginning of the pandemic, and mm-hmm. it's like, was it? Uh, did you watch it? Yeah, we're Jewish, so we've seen all these shows and movies. <laughs> Leo, so. you have seen a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, uh, Hunters is really good. It's Al Pacino, isn't it? Mm. Um, but it's great. And it's about like, it's in the 60s or 70s. And it's about like this like underground group of uh, people who are going after uncovering and killing former Nazis hiding in the United States and New York. Mm. It's really good. I did good. see that preview and I did want to watch it. It's I'm going to write that down. It's really good. Yeah. No, you really need to watch it. And then um, what was it? Another good one I saw was, uh, oh, the one, if y'all are like into like serious stuff, the t- the show that actually like hit me the hardest in the last year was, um, oh God, what's it called? It's based on a book. It's uh, It was the show about, um, it was like the alternative reality if uh, the Germans had won the war and um, Lindbergh had become... No, not Man in the High Castle. It's if Lindbergh had become the president. Uh, God, I'm having this moment. It's going to drive me crazy. Is it kind of new? or? Yeah, yeah. It came out in the past year, and it's based on a, um, a famous book. Um, uh, but, I mean, it, it it was around. They released it very intentionally, I feel, and I'm not going to go into politics because I know it's not a place for it. But, like, it was very much well-placed. The Plot Against America um and it was very much you didn't see it you need to watch it i mean it was hard to watch like it's uh it's if nazis had won and charles Lindbergh, who was a nazi sympathizer and an anti-semite had become the president of the united states and essentially done to america what the nazis were doing in germany and um yeah, it's based on a book, but it's really, really good. And it came out right during, like, around this, right before the election, like, as we were getting ready, you know, for like all the debates and everything mm. and everything with the past administration was going on. And um, it kind of, I think they released it at that time because there was so much tension and, like, you, it was palpable when you're watching the show. And it yeah. was stuff that you're going, like, this, you know, is stuff that you wouldn't think could happen. In America, when you're watching the show, but then you kind of felt like you were kind of watching it happen at the time. So it's uh, it was a pretty heavy hitter last Isn't year. Isn't that like that Handmaid's Tale, too? Wasn't that kind of like everybody was like, that's kind of realistic what's happened in Alabama at the time? I have not seen Handmaid's Tale, actually. I heard it's a good show. I have, too. That's on Hulu, isn't it? I don't know what, what it's on, but I heard it's a lot about, like, basically their women don't have any rights at all or whatever. Yes, yeah, like I think like women had like lost the ability to like reproduce, and so like the ones that can are essentially like forced into a life of servitude, being baby machines, yeah. and um, so they are like, you know, instead of being like wet maids, like you you know used to be back in the day, you'd have like a woman who nursed your baby for you, um, and I guess like they were like you know start to finish, like they were your baby carriers to, mm. re- to keep their you know families populated. Because the wives couldn't have kids, and so they forced these women to have babies, I think is the premise of the show. Why aren't women more powerful? 
<laughs> why aren't women? Why, women are powerful. But I'm saying, like, on a grand scheme of thing, like, why are women most more powerful? Thing, most things that men do are for women. Like, if is and like, especially in our why country, why is anybody marginalized? I'm just saying, like, especially like in our country, like we just now have a woman in power. Like most other countries have already had that. I just don't understand like why we're just so. I know we were a new country ish, but I just don't understand like why. So is Israel. So many Israel's people. New and they've had so many people. Um, just don't see, or I, I guess like maybe there's not a lot of women that work together. I don't. I don't agree with that. Actually, I think that women. Actually, I think that we get a bad rap for being catty and malicious. But actually, no, no, not. I don't oh, mean like that. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like like women like can't work together like cohesively. No, no. Oh, okay, no, no. I was like, I was like, because I come from. I mean, I went to all girls school most of my life, and then I went into a field dominated by women. Um, being a nurse and then went into a unit of nursing, very dominated by women going into obstetrics. So like, you know, I was going to say, I, I can say that women actually are very cohesive unit working together, but, um, sorry. So I guess I misunderstood you. Continue. Yeah. I'm just saying like, I just don't see why more women are not in power is, is, I guess is my question or, or thought. Cause of sexism. But I'm saying that's, <laughs> that's my point though. Like, why aren't, more women like stepping up and be like, we're going to take charge. We're going to do this instead of just kind of letting these guys just rule everything and fuck everything up. Cause the whole argument is like, <clears throat> excuse me, like say like for Hillary Clinton or any other woman, she's going to be on a period or blah, blah, some stupid shit about like their emotions. But most men are emotional as fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know, they did trials for men on birth control and had to cancel them because the guys couldn't handle the mood swings. <laughs> Fucking losers. <laughs> no, you sit across from a couple men right here. I'm grabbing the butt again. I'm nervous. <laughs> but no, um, do you see where I'm coming I, from, though? I think that when I hear you ask that, and I'm not saying you specifically, but when I hear you as a woman, when I'm asked that question posted in the way you post it, I would say we are being loud. Y'all just still aren't listening. I think that women do are outspoken. I think that women are are trying to gain these positions. I think that we still live in a society that um, many of the types of, you know, positions that you're, you know, talking to, these positions that we traditionally see as powerful positions have always been held by men. And um, it's a challenge to that, that kind of sense of comfort or status quo in those positions and fields that um, I think that as a society, I think that as a Western society, we in this country still obviously, I mean, you, all you have to do is turn on the news like, or look around you like in any public situation, you know, we definitely still have things that we're behind on. Um, you know, we have racism, we have sexism, that these things exist all over the world. And obviously, I'm not saying that America is like sexist in the way that, you know, women are oppressed in other countries. But I think that we still hang on to traditional values in this country. And when we think about, and I think that people in general are people of tradition. Humans like tradition. Humans like, you know, humans like things that feel right within their culture. Um, it's something that we've been passing down to each other, you know, within any society since the beginning of time. And I think that in our society, the standard has been for so long that the tradition is meant for men to fill those roles that there still hasn't been enough. I don't. I don't. I. I can't tell you why men aren't letting women fulfill roles that we are 
totally qualified for. I don't know how loud women have to scream to get into those roles. Of course, if we did, we'd probably get told we were on our fucking period. I don't, I guess it's hard to answer that as a woman because it's frustrating as a woman because I do know we're powerful and I do know that we're outspoken. and I do know that we know how to get jobs done and we are innovative and we have lots of solutions. I can't explain to you why us doing those and meeting all those credentials isn't enough for men to give over the seats. I can't answer that other than it just must be comfort with tradition. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that like I grew up in a household predominantly of women. Yeah. You know, so same. <laughs> I know I know what women can do, mm-hmm. and I know what we as men do to get women. You know, so I just don't understand like why the next step isn't to see more women in power, more women leading the you know, just anything like just just being a force. I agree. I mean, we well, have to look at the fact that we still have people who you know, we, we still have majors. Women are when a woman is pregnant with a baby. I mean, technically she can walk away, but it's it's not the same. So that comes down to the fact that women are often the ones who, you know, many women are in positions where they may be the only one raising their child. Women are in positions where child care is incredibly expensive and inaccessible in this country. So that's one barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to figure out what to do with your kids. You've got an employer who doesn't want to give you ample maternity leave. You know, there's like, you know, there's at most workplaces still in this country, it's, especially in the South, there's many jobs where there's nowhere for you to go pump, you know, if you're breastfeeding. So there's so many things that women need just at a physical scientific level and basic society level that are not being met currently. So I think that, you know, there are still barriers in place to women being able to go do those things at the level they want to, because then if you show up and you know, you're never home, well, you're not a good mother because you're not home with your kids enough. But then, you know, well, why aren't women in these positions? Well, because they're home with their kids, like because they couldn't get, you know, affordable childcare, they couldn't get, you know, ample maternity leave. So I feel like, you know, it's, you know, if you're, if you're a woman in a position of power, you get shit on for not being, you know, a woman or you're too outspoken or you're a cold bitch and Mm -hmm. things that we ascribe to men as being, you know, if you're a dad and you're, you know, and you're never home because you're at work, well, you're providing for your family. And if you're a man and you're outspoken in a business meeting, and you stand your ground, you're powerful. Whereas with woman, you're emotional and you're a bitch. You're being the cold bitch. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, people will tell you that, and I, and I don't necessarily agree with this. I think everybody has their own personality. But, you know, people say, you know, there's certain personalities in traditionally male-dominated fields where people will say they feel like the women are difficult to work with even as you are a fellow woman because the women have felt like they had to fight ever since they got there to be treated as equals in those roles. So I don't think it's that women aren't doing the work. I think it's that as a society, we still aren't doing enough to address some of the barriers, remove them, and put into place some of the necessary means for women to be able to be the natural caretakers that we are, as well as being able to be the badass career women that we are. Because like... um what it there's a podcast i listen to sometimes it said <clears throat> excuse me call your call her daddy yeah <laughs> did you see my message where i was joking about that uh-uh. was that you who saw it <laughs> and so like it's it's uh you know girls talking about stuff that guys talk about mm-hmm. and then they're judged for talking about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it's like why yeah like we're sexual beings what's wrong with them I talking my about off on that show. you know just talking about you know fucking some dude or 
yeah, some issues that they have with whatever. And it's just to me, that's where I find it it odd that we're still at this place where people still think that way. Yeah, well, and it's funny to me when like men are shocked, like when they like hear an upset of college, they're like, girls talk like that. I'm like, oh, do. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I got good dick, like I'm gonna tell somebody about it. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, so I, I might even call my mom. And so I, I guess maybe <laughs> that's more what I'm talking about is like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like women coming into more of that where it's not so taboo to hear a woman say something or to, to do something that's traditionally not a woman's position. Yeah, but, but, you know, they also, you know, for example, those girls have also gotten a lot of backlash, you know, and. But people are going to hate on you regardless of, of course, whatever you fucking do. Course. So, I mean, you you can't like anything in life. If, if you're always going to worry about somebody's opinion, you're never going to try to do anything. Yeah. But you also, you know, like, look, uh, women also often don't report, you know, aggressive, toxic, intolerant, you know, intolerable behavior from men in the workplace because they're afraid of retaliation still. Yeah. You know, that's why, like, you know, with like the Me Too movement stuff, a lot of people are going, well, how come these women are just now bringing this up? Well, because even now you're still under asking why this woman is just now telling you about her sexual assault, which is traumatic and personal. Yeah. You know, because for years women have had to worry about whether or not they were going to be able to keep their job if they reported inappropriate behavior in the workplace, whether it was sexual or just plain unprofessional and disrespectful. I've had a grown man tell me to shush my mouth before mm. when I was speaking in a meeting. I mean, he never. He was only a few years older than I, and never would he speak to a male that way in that same position. And this is not me like a doctor talking to me. This yeah. was like, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I doubt that like many dudes when they're booking gigs have people, you know, Try to hook on a like, oh, but like you got to fuck me if you want to play this gig onto it. I mean, maybe they do. <laughs> I mean, there's a female booking agent like, you want to play this stage? Give me that dick. <laughs> like, come on. But I mean, I, I, you know, I guess there's some women out there like that probably. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've. <laughs> None of my personal friends who are male musicians have ever, you know, lost gigs because they wouldn't fuck someone. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's hard to explain why you're not in a why 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 your why your sex isn't in those positions of power when being a member of that sex, you look all around you at the ways that you do have a lot more opportunity than like even your mother's generation did. But at the same time, I never reported when that guy even talked to me that way. Cause I was like, I'm just going to get told to get over it that I'm being, I, that I'm being hypersensitive, you know, um, there's still many barriers to women being able to advance in the ways where if he had spoken that way to a male peer, I guarantee you he would have reported him and something would have been done about it. But I would have, you know, I felt like I would be told I was hypersensitive. So, like, that's just one example. You know, you look around you and you see all these barriers to, you know, why women, you know, like a lot of times women don't feel like they can come back into work after they've been on maternity leave mm -hmm. because they're busy doing that. You know, there's just a lot of roles that society still wants the woman to fulfill as a societal gender role norm. And that sometimes is a roadblock, I think, to then her being given that equal opportunity to shine in other fields. Cause I think, I think too, like when, like I, I'll post a lot of stuff that may be offensive to people or, you know, it's pro women. But the reason I post it sometimes is because if somebody sees me posting it, they're like, okay, he thinks differently. Maybe I should think differently too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess like 
us guys are definitely part of the problem too. We're not, you know, speaking up and I guess uh, putting more women on. Mm-hmm. Cause that's like, I told Leah one time, I was like, I want to have more women on here so we can get a different point of view. Cause a lot of the stuff we talk about is just from our point of view. So that's like when we can have a woman on here and predominantly guys listen to this, mm-hmm. you know, they can make, okay, there's yeah. something else than just dick jokes and, you know, what? whatever. Right. Locker room talk is not acceptable. <laughs> what? You know, what? what? Okay. Well, yeah, look, I locker room talk. I locker room talk with my girlfriends. Like, I mean, shit, my best guy friend I told y'all about, I mean, he probably knows like some of the raunchiest, filthiest stories about me and he has to sit there and listen to it. But, um, you know, so I mean, it's not the locker room talk's not acceptable. I think that, you know, you do expect, you know, women are held to so many standards, you know, even by other women. So you do expect people who are going to be putting themselves in certain situations. I think you expect a different level of genteel and, uh, and gracefulness from certain people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, I would love to run for office someday, but I'm sure somebody could pull some like fucked up shit or some like not great picture. I'm picturing a situation in my head now that I just could never run for office. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's be something like unsavory that would surface of me, you know? So it's like, ah, you know, everything's documented now. Everybody knows what you said and they've got a recording of it. Everybody knows what you did. They got a picture of it or a video of it. So, you know, I do think that that does create challenges, but, um, yeah, I think that women often are held to unequal, unfair standards and I, and I'm not shitting on men, but I do think you have a point there that I think that, and I don't expect every man to go, you know, like, <laughs> Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn off. Never, I'm gonna go in there. I was about to make an Amazon joke, but like with men, I'm not gonna go there. I'll make y'all heart. Um, so, but I don't think that you know. I expect men to all just go out there and be like, you know, man haters, and you know, like be marching in the women's march. You know, I, I mean, I don't expect every dude to go do all that, but I do think that you are right that uh, it would be helpful if more men did put more women on and shut down certain types of behaviors, like. You know, because there's this guy, there's this, there's this guy, uh, Charlemagne. I don't know if you know Charlemagne the God. He's on like, uh, he has a podcast and he has a radio show, or whatever. And uh, he, he was always like, stop saying the word bitch. Like, it's offensive to women, blah, 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 blah. So then somebody posted a clip not too long ago and it was like him talking basically about Rufy and some girl and some other kind of shit. So it's like, how do you say like that's offensive to say bitch, but then you're talking about stuff that's sexual assault? Right, exactly. It's like it's like, man, that's a you can get arrested for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I mean, I I use the word bitch all the time. I, I love it. the I word. I use the word fondly, and I also feel like it adds like a little bit more emphasis on things. Like you know, like what's up, what's up, bitches? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like you know, you feel it more. But yeah, I mean, I think it's universal. It could go for. Yeah any person like i think that it's not that i think we focus sometimes too much on like stuff that matter like obviously like when somebody who's running for the president of the united states says i want i'm gonna grab her by the pussy like yeah you expect the person who's running for the president of the united states to not be saying shit like that you know like that's offensive like also you are talking about like doing something to somebody they didn't want versus like, and then we were doing this and then I just grabbed her right by it. And she was like, Oh hell yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about a, you know, fictional situation. Like that sounds like assault, like that's very problematic, but you know, I don't think that it's like, like I said, women, we do locker room talk. Like, I mean, I know who my friends are fucking. 
And like, and I know details. I know what all their boyfriends' dicks. I, I mean, I, I know if their boyfriends have bigger little dicks. I know all these things. And I hope that some of my friends' husbands are feeling very uncomfortable right now. But <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know. But um, <laughs> but you know, it's like I don't think people expect that to stop. But like, for example, like I mean, if you're in a situation, if you're in a business meeting, and somebody keeps like talking over the one woman in the room you know, or telling somebody to shush or talking to somebody differently than you would know that they would not be able to talk that way to a male peer or a male supervisor without losing their job, mm-hmm. you know, saying something about it, yeah. even reporting it, you know, um, because like I said, there are things that women will not report, whether it is just basic disrespect and unprofessional behavior to sexual assault. There are things that women will not report because we are more afraid of what will happen to our reputations and our careers if we do than if we don't. Because we don't trust for a good reason because of experience. We don't trust that we will actually be protected. Yeah, that's sad. It is. So, I mean, like, I guess that's why I got a little like my, you know, what do they call the dog's hair on the back? Cock- cockles? I sound like an idiot. I'm like, why is it called cockles? <laughs> Fuck, man. What's that word? Like little, you know, the hair on the back of their neck kind of like sticks up. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking. Okay. Yeah. Like I kind of like prickled up a little bit when you asked me that, you know, not because I'm like, you know, some man hating, you know, bitch, but uh, because it's like, <laughs> I feel like we do do a lot and we do say a lot. So it's just frustrating when you get asked that question sometimes because it's like, well, are people just not listening? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I've always said that. Like, I just think that, I don't know. I just don't see why more women are not on top. Because dudes won't move. <laughs> and, then, you know, it's, it's, you, hear from, <laughs> you hear from another person's point of view, though. So that's yeah. what, you know, that's what talking, you know, you learn yeah. something. Because I'm only saying it from my, right. my side of things. Right, of course. You know, so. Well, yeah, and, and, you, and it sounds like you don't, you know, have a lot of those views that may, you know, that some people may have about like, you know, oh, they're too emotional, things Mm -hmm. like that, you know. So like when you don't hold those views, it can be hard to understand why other people do or to understand like how much of an issue, you know, I think it goes to still trying to understand and perceive things that aren't your own experience or perception sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially when you don't think in that way. Yeah. And it's kind of, and sometimes it's really disappointing to realize that so many people do. Yeah, that's true. You know, I was raised like in a very, you know, forward thinking, open minded home. And, you know, so when you're little, you know, so much of what you're exposed to is your own family and their values. And then sometimes when you get out into the real world, you know, especially as you become more of an adult, you're kind of like, you know, very shocked and disappointed by other human beings when Mm -hmm. you experience different values and personalities. So speaking of women, what did you guys think about the Kardashian thing that just happened with her picture being leaked. Have you seen the picture? I didn't see the picture. I tried to find it. <laughs> okay, so... The picture looks normal to me. So people are saying that she photoshopped because the Kardashians photoshop a lot of the photos, mm-hmm. right? That everybody knows that and they admit they do. So she, Chloe <clears throat> got on... Uh, <clears throat> she got on... Um, what is it called when you go live on Facebook? Instagram Facebook Live. live. Uh, for what? Yeah, Facebook Live, right? She got on there and she took her top off. She had a sports bra on and then she... Did the picture, the stance, the way she was in the picture, and you can see exactly what is in the picture is is right there on Facebook Live too. People were saying that it was photoshopped and it was it was made better to make it look smaller and skinnier. And then she went on this live thing on the other day and she proved them all wrong. So, from my understanding, this is the picture. 
Okay, Let me see. She looks like a normal woman. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't understand why would she be upset about this? I'll tell you why, because that's not what people see on Instagram, because our visual diet has become inundated. Mm-hmm. But first of all, we have such a vast visual diet now with social media and the Internet. And so I actually had an eating disorder and um, actually since the last like I started getting help for it in 2018 and actually just finished up um, a few months ago. I actually was mentoring um, girls going through eating disorder therapy and um, coaching. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm actually glad you asked that because I actually am happy to talk about this. Um, our visual diets, we are now living in an, a digital era where so much of what you see is on your screen rather than what's in front of you. And so much of that is based on algorithm. And we have apps and tools that, you know, you used to, you know, maybe you went to school for graphic design, so you're really, you know, well-versed with Photoshop, things like that. Mm -hmm. But now you can just download an app, and unless you're just, like, brand new to it, you know, you can do a pretty professional-looking airbrush in Photoshop on your picture. So what, because women have been being told for so long, what their body should look like by the media. When media is constantly in front of our faces on various forms of screens, and those images can be altered whether they came from a magazine or came from your neighbor's cell phone, Mm -hmm. it creates a very unrealistic perception, like we just talked about perceptions, of what is real, what is normal, and what is expected. So if I'm on Instagram and I follow a lot of, and I start follow, I follow three female trainers who all are like a size two and have ripped abs. Mm-hmm. It's going to notice image-wise what I'm looking at, consistent hashtags, things like that. So not only am I going to see a lot of fitness stuff, but I'm going to see a lot of fitness bodies that fit that, like that, that certain body type. Mm-hmm. So there, everybody's on Instagram. Now there's, you know, what, 7 billion people in the world, Yeah, 6 billion, 7 billion. So everybody's on social media. So if I'm seeing just that corner of the fitness world itself, that the ones who specifically have this body type and look this way, My perception, because there's still so much information that could be populated onto my feed daily from even that corner of that market, that's going to be what I see as real. So you have the Kardashians who've been scrutinized their entire lives about the way they look. Mm -hmm. They, like you said, they acknowledge that they Photoshop and things like that. But the reason they do those things is because they feel that their bodies are unacceptable as they are because... Women are raised in society to feel, even as we are told that being strong, being mentally sound, having peace, you know, being creative, being, uh, you know, intelligent, these are all such important things. The way we look is still so much at the forefront. You still hear people say, she's such a beautiful girl. Yeah. That's the first compliment you usually hear when somebody talks about a woman. Oh, she's 33, she's a nurse, and she's she's so pretty. You mm-hmm. know, it's not she's so smart. Yeah. You know, that's not usually the first thing you hear. So so much, even subliminal messaging from our parents, our peers, and television and social media tells us that the way we look 
has so much value on our worth. Mm -hmm. So that many women spend their life going, I can't do this or I can't be seen unless I look this way or until I look this way. So when Khloe Kardashian, who is the tallest sister who has typically been the more curvy sister mm -hmm. and has spent years working her ass off to make her body look the way she was told it was supposed to look, which like, let me say right here right now, everybody has a different body. And I can try to force myself to look like somebody else's, but that often, even if I can accomplish it, is at the detriment of my own health, even if it looks physically appealing. Mm -hmm. A lot of women who have that body type no longer have periods, no longer have libidos because they restrict and exercise to the point their body no longer functions in the way a healthy woman's body functions in order to look healthy to a consumer. Yeah. So that being said, there are some women who will never be able to make their bodies look a certain way, but because they see so much of this out there, they believe that they aren't doing enough or they're doing it wrong. And so this woman, for example, Chloe, she's spending all of her life feeling like she has to, you know, eat a certain way, exercise a certain way, try to maintain something that is not the natural set point state of her body to function at its best and healthiest likely mm -hmm. in order to feel accepted being in the public eye as they are. So for somebody to then go expose her for things that people pick women apart on, on social media, there are, so if you, if you break out of that, that niche and you start looking up, you know, women who are into fitness but still have, you know, very normal female bodies. They, they, they have cellulite. They have stretch marks. They don't have rock hard abs or, you know, perfectly, uh, you know, visible obliques. Um, there's a there's a ton of those women out there. And then there are people who will get on and go, ew, gross. Yeah. Bitch! Like, ooh, gross yourself. Like, you've clearly never fucked a real woman. You, you only fucked one of these, if you think. <laughs> you only never fucked one of, one of these. Yeah. Yeah. If you think that somebody having stretch marks and cellulite is gross. Like, you know well, what's gross? Well, the fact you know, you've never had sex with anything but a fleshlight. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so I think that it's, uh, that we don't normalize having a normal body. Yeah. And when her normal body gets exposed... She feels defensive because she's been under a microscope about how she looks, defining her value. And clearly, that is the way people think because the people who are hating on her for getting upset are the ones talking about how she looked in the picture. Mm. So, I mean, it's like damned if she does, damned if she doesn't. You know, so I, it's just, yeah, I think I feel sad for Khloe Kardashian and I understand why she was upset. I think it's easy to mock them and, you know, because they, I think they're also total fucking airheads, you know, and very vapid materialistic airheads. But I also think that inside is a little girl who's been told her whole life that she's only worth the way she looks. Mm -hmm. And that's the little girl that freaked out. Mm. You know, yeah. um, sorry, you asked, you asked something I got deep on you there, but no, I just, I, my whole thing with the picture, cause I just didn't see anything wrong with the picture. Like well, yeah, I, I, I did, I didn't, understand, I didn't understand what she was upset about. Cause I was like, to me, it just looks like a normal person. No, mm -hmm. I don't know. But like, uh, because but then I didn't understand too. Like I, I, I know a bits and pieces of their life, but it didn't seem like she got that mad when she got cheated on. So like, how do you get so upset about this picture, but not about your baby's father fucking some other woman? If your body is where you put your ultimate sense of worth, 
that's going to be the thing that triggers you the most. See, that's sad to me. It is sad. And it's also the media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk now? Well, it's also like, you know, <laughs> so on, um, on Insta, you know, we we'll just use Instagram. I was just going through, I found a picture of a girl with abs on an Instagram, like search, you know, and mm-hmm. then I clicked it and then I kept on scrolling up and then I showed Tony and Leah that it was nothing but what mm-hmm. you were just saying. It will, exactly. it will never end, you know? And if you, if you look at it, that kind of stuff only, that's all that's going to be in your, uh, search, you know, yeah. when you open up the Instagram search mm-hmm. thing, but also like, you know, a lot of people that work out, they, uh, they look at these different pictures of different people's progress and stuff or results. And then they, oh man, this guy lost 50 pounds doing this, taking this, this, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. Green tea. Right. He drank this, mm-hmm. this fake tea. Yeah. And they show one picture and the guy he looks, you know, like he's slunched over and he's not tanned, but in the other picture he's standing, you know, erect. And he, uh, also, uh, has a, a tan because you know the more tan you are the more cut you look oh and, hell yeah so you know that's why bodybuilders when they do competitions they always get all tanned up on the on you know, air, air, air so i stand stuff. naked in front of another woman vulnerably in a paper thong and let her spray me every few weeks there you go oh, yeah. <laughs> but like that's what i'm saying tan. but like you know so <laughs> they're, they're so we all think that these all all people think this is real so they order that fake product you know that whatever product it is right mm-hmm. but people don't really think that oh let me look at the picture even closer. They just see one and then they look at the other one, mm-hmm. the next, the comparisons, right? That's all we look at. And that's, and, and people are duped all day, every day on mm-hmm. with these things and all these bullshit so-called fitness experts and all that stuff. And, you know, I don't know. Just, Do you think that the Kardashians are part of the problem for girls having body image issues? Yes. And I also think that they're victims of it. They're perpetuating something because they're stuck in a cycle of self-worth being based on physical appearance. Because um, I remember seeing this one thing. It's like if women start loving their bodies, there'd be so many companies that go out of business. The diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that would totally go out of business if if they did not create insecurities for women. Cellulite was not something that was talked about until I can't remember what year it was, but it was like, you know, Early in the earlier days of Cosmopolitan, it was not something that was even talked about until they made it mm. something for women to be self-conscious about. Hip dips—that's been like a new thing in the last like you know ten years. Is hip dips was so not something you even heard about before that. You know, it's they, you got to find new ways to make women feel insecure about their bodies so they'll you know succumb to your product rather than focusing on the wellness of the functioning of their body internally. Like you were talking about these before and after pictures, like, yes, everything you just said. And have you ever noticed how unhappy everybody looks, even if they weren't, if they were just normal prior to? So until they look to something that they had to take extreme measures, either product-wise or exercise and and diet-wise to, like, achieve, they look like they're unhealthy, which says, or unhappy, which says being, that, that, that tells you, that your sense of self-worth should lie in the way you look. If every before and after you see shows the person who is in the larger body looking sad and the person in the smaller body looking happy, what does it tell you? It tells you bigger is bad, bigger is sad. Yeah, Even if bigger is nor- your normal body. Because, you know, every, every, everybody in the before photo is always, like I said, hunched over and pale as fuck or, you know, whatever it is. And then the after photo 
This is my before it's photo. Like, like. It's like it, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like they would have glamour shots or something at the mall. Or they're at the photo. Is there, you know, fucking glamour shot from the mall? Well, they I've even seen it where they did a before and after the same day. Mm-hmm. So it, they didn't even do any workouts or anything. Well, also, oh, you can pose yeah, certain yeah, ways yeah. to make your body look totally different. Yeah, and they like sprayed on abs, like he was saying, like contour and abs. Yeah, you can and stuff contour like abs. Yeah. You can contour tits. Like, you can do everything. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like, so the way that you pose, like, I have ways that I pose in my pictures for Instagram that, like, definitely Let's make me it. look smaller. You want to see? <laughs> I oh. Like, I mean, you can do things like with your legs and stuff. Like,. <laughs> Like, look, like, like make your butt look bigger than that. Like you put one yeah. leg behind yeah. the other. Yeah, well, or I'm not wearing the right clothes, but like if you, um, like standing like this is going to make your bottom look bigger. Um, there's also like, like this and then. This is a great, y'all are missing out right now. By the way. <laughs> this. She's modeling for us. This also, if you stand like this and turn your legs slightly and like turn your knees slightly out and grip yeah. your legs, look at the difference in my legs. They look muscular, exactly. more muscular. Exactly. Muscular. So I can also I can also hold my stomach at an angle. If I pull my underwear higher up on my hips, my entire abdomen and torso looks narrower and my waist looks significantly smaller than if I put it at the early two thousands bikini cut line. Mm. It's like the nineteen eighty style. Yeah. Narrows your waist, pull it back down here, thicker waist, bigger hips. See, it's like, remember when that uh, Sir Mixlock song came out? Maybe go back? Yeah, and they I were hope like. I listen to this episode. <laughs> they were uh, talking about, oh my God, Becky, look at her butt, like how gross it was, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm now. Bring me that butt, Becky. <laughs> yeah, and, and now that's like kind of the standard. And some women are, are end up dying because they're going to get these BBLs and or whatever else they're doing mm-hmm. down there in Miami and all big, these other countries. Big butts are what's it right now. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's sad that so many people are forced fed this shit and then end up ruining their lives because of it. Mm-hmm. Have you all seen the picture of the little girl? It's, 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 uh, you know, it's for an ad, so it's not re- I mean, probably it's very true though. This little girl, probably eight or nine years old is sitting without a shirt on mm-hmm. and you know, so a ro- so her belly, yeah, the scissor. Yeah. You've seen it. And her belly is, you know, she's, and she takes, she has like the scissors, like she's cutting her belly off because mm-hmm. of her, like a roll or whatever. It was so sad when I first saw that. I was like, damn. That's completely real for girls. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't know. Part of me, like I said, about the Khloe Kardashian thing, I just didn't understand what the, the fuss was. Yeah. Honestly, I know it's like, I mean, like not even like just trying to like, be like, you know, take it in a sexual direction, but like actually like all the stuff we're talking about is actually why a lot of women can't achieve orgasms. Because we are so focused on the way our bodies look during sex. Mm-hmm. And if like, our belly looks big at this angle or things are jiggling weird or if our boobs look like too like you know long at this you know angle um or does my face look funny or like does my do i look like i have a double chin do i look like i do when i turn my phone towards me because he's like laying underneath me you know we get into our heads so much that it can be a lot of it can be really hard for a lot of women to actually appreciate and enjoy sex because they're so focused on the way their body looks for the man that they don't enjoy the moment and it can make it really hard for women to orgasm does you do you feel like you are able to relax more with age? Yeah, I think that also like it depends on like, you know, also relax more like with the person. I think anytime you get more comfortable with somebody, you know, obviously that makes sex easier and more enjoyable. But yeah, I think with age I, I do get more confident in myself. I've also like, you know, been around enough guys now that I, you know, thankfully have like a safe enough relationship where we can talk about these things, you know, without it being 
you know, just like sexualized towards me. I can actually like, talk to like guy friends, like hear them. And like, I know that like they would, they, they don't, they're not paying attention to the way my body looks in the moment. Like they're focused on like the feeling Yeah. like, yeah, things are like visually stimulating and boobs bouncing around. It's going to be great. You know, but like, they're not like, oh, she had a tummy roll or, oh, she just, you know, she held her head just now in a way where her, it looked like she had a double chin or something yeah. like weird like that. The things that go through our heads, men aren't thinking about. And like, they would much rather see you letting yourself go, enjoying it, than, you know, you just being there trying to curate the way your form looks to be appealing in the act with the guy. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that has helped me feel more comfortable with age, not so much as, and working through my own body insecurities. Mm. But I mean, like, that's not to say I haven't had great sex before I worked through those things. But um, like at times where, before I worked through my issues with um, my eating disorder, there was definitely... Times where I didn't want to have sex with the lights on if I was at one of my bigger points, mm -hmm. you know, like, and now I, I, I know I'm not big. I know that my weight set point, which is where my body functions the most optimally at health, mm -hmm. regardless of what it looks like. I know that it's around the place that I hang out within about a five to 10 pound range up or down. That's because your weight set point. Um, so I know that mine is not where I was smallest. My body did not function optimally, even though it looked Instagram most optimal. Mm -hmm. So kind of accepting those things about myself, I think definitely has helped. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I ate, you know, pizza and spaghetti the day before. I, I can still fuck with the lights on now. You know, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to be getting mine. I'm not going to be worried. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I hope it shakes, you know. Yeah. Like, better shake. You like that shake? You, you like fucking that? hitting you it like right. That? It better fucking shake. <laughs> Well, I saw something one time. It was like, uh, it's like, like what you were saying. Women are in their head about a lot of stuff, and mm -hmm. it's like, don't you realize we're looking at your butthole most of the time? So, like, what oh, are you, what oh, are you that embarrassed? Can about? I tell you a story? Oh my god, my mother's going. I'm never telling her I did this podcast. <laughs> okay, so okay, 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 okay. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I hope nobody I work for listens to this either. Okay, so uh, I can't believe I'm about to tell this story. Oh, I don't think anybody at the club's gonna listen to it. <laughs> but the, so, um, <clears throat> you're normalizing this. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I was fucking this 23 year old last year. Um, and, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I put him off for a while because I was like, dude, you're probably way too fucking young for me. Like I was, uh, he was 23 and I was 31. I was about to turn 32 when he like was trying to get my number. So I was like about nine years older than he was. And uh, yeah, I'm February. He's an April birthday. So yeah, like we're about nine years apart. And um, <clears throat> he had like been like trying to get my number hitting on me. And I kept him like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, finally I was like, you know, I'm older than you are, right? And he's like, so is that a problem? I was like, and I didn't know exactly how young he was at the time. I just knew he was younger because the year before he had run into me somewhere and be like, did you just move back from school? And I'm like, okay, I'm so flattered right now. <laughs> but I was like, no. He was like, oh, you went to U of M? I was like, yeah. And he was like, you just graduated? I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, I graduated in 2010. But I guess, you know, a year later he didn't register it. So he's like back living at home, run into him like in a, you know, social setting again. And, you know, he just kept, you know, had me, got my number, kept, you know, come on, go on a date with me. I'm like, okay, finally, I'm like, okay, fine. So we were out actually uh, getting drinks and this is just kind of funny backstory to where I'm going with the butthole thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're getting to the butthole thing. But, um, I, I realized that like it was not going to, you know, it, it go anywhere, you know, long term. It's going to be fun uh, when we were sitting on the first date and 
uh, he comes back with our drinks and we sit down and when he'd come up, two of my friends from college who were at the bar we were at had come up and were speaking to me and like, you know, they have a child, they're married, like he's got, he's bald. And um, he walks, they walk away and he goes, who are those older people? (laughs) 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 I go, "Uh, those were two of my friends from college. And he goes, oh, uh, so you mentioned you were older. He was like, when is your birthday? I go, February 6, 1988. He's like, whoa. I'm like, okay, first of all, don't you fucking whoa me, bitch. Yeah. I'm like, hey, do, you, do you want to hit this? But, um, and he goes, wow. So, like, what's it like to remember 9 11? Oh, my God. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, well, I was in gym class. He's like, I didn't mean it literally. I was like, oh, you're just rubbing it in. Okay, cool, cool. Good first move. Um, but so fast forward, that gives you an idea of the age gap mm-hmm. that is like Gen Z to like millennial at this point. So I'm like, there. I, I at the time like that I finally went out with him, I had turned 32 and he was still 23. So this goes on for like a couple months. Um, you know, I we have we all have needs. And I'm like, you know, please, God, don't tell your parents because, like, I know them. And he did end up telling his parents. I was like, ah. He told his parents? Yeah, he told his parents. I was like, what's wrong with you? No fucking chill, man. Like, why? I don't know. I don't know. That's I don't know. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. Hey, daddy. Gonna, <laughs> here's what I just did. Come here, son. Sit in my lap and tell me. Oh, God. I'm, and I'm thinking, like, please don't tell your parents, because they're going to go, like, tell all their friends, like, look out for Faith. She's out here. To, you know, she's out here for all our sons, our little boys. <laughs> she's coming after our little boys. <laughs> so, you know, I'm out here. You know, I don't want to call it a cougar, because I'm, like, not old enough to be a cougar. I'm, like, pumaing. <laughs> Fucking getting a solid puma in. And um, so I decide, you know, fine, whatever. Like, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten any in a minute. So I was like, all right, like, fuck it. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. So like, we start fucking. We fuck for a couple months. And um, at one point, I mean, it was like super, super vanilla and like super like missionary. But also like, he'd be like, don't move. I'm like, don't fuck. move. Like, I guess he, he just like needed like, you know. Was he going to come? I think so. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Yeah, no, like anytime I started getting into it, he's like, no, no, no. Like, I remember like, I started, I started rubbing my clit. He's like, don't do that. And he like moved my hand away. I was like. Yeah, he's emasculated. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, like, don't you want me to get off? But uh, I, so, um, so he goes to like, I go, I finally looked at him. I was like, I'm like, Fuck me doggy style. And he was like, what? I'm like, yeah, hit it from the back. And he's like, I don't know about that. And I was like, why? And he goes, well, for one thing, like, I can't, like, see your face and kiss you at that angle. I was like, well, you can do that when we flip back over. And he was like, but also, like, you can see the girl's butthole at that angle. What the fuck? Yeah, and my face is on the butt. And he goes, and that's where poop comes out. Oh my God. And I looked at him and I was like, don't ever, 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 ever fucking say anything like that to a girl ever again. I was like, do you want my help or not? I'm like, do not ever say that. We never have this conversation with another woman. If she tells you to fuck her doggy style, you bend her over and you fuck her doggy style. I don't care if you have to close your eyes. I was wow. like, first of all, I was like, that is not going to happen 
in that moment. <laughs> I was like, second of all, it's an asshole, dude. Oh. You know, if you're that concerned about it, look ahead. I go, this is not all about you. He's a defective said, millennial. Because yeah. most of them are like eating ass. Yeah, I know, I know. Around. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, y'all are like, out here. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> what if I'm calling out? He's like, it's ass-eating season, bitches. What's well, ass-eating season, dude? Like, you're like scared of looking at it. Like, you're fucking scared of looking at it in the, in the eye. Oh, man. <laughs> baby boy, baby but, boy. But yeah, it was fucking hilarious. Like, I just, I looked at him and I was like, okay. I thought that's okay. how you would be, I bet, Raul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Raul was like, Tony Ew. called it. He said, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Ew. The butthole. <laughs> like, I, wow. I was like mind blown. I was like, bruh. Was he like really religious or something? No, no. He just like liked a solid missionary. Like, and he liked a lot of direct eye contact. I'm like, oh, you are not like the love of my life. This is so fucking awkward. He'd be like, look at me. I'm like, no. That is weird. No, you won't look at my butthole. And he's like, this you, won't, you, won't, you, you won't look at my. You won't look me in the asshole. You want me to look you in the eye? Get the fuck out. <laughs> oh my god. But I, I was mind blown. I was like, okay, we need to have a conversation. I said, look, if somebody asks you to fuck them a certain way, it's because it feels good. This is not a one man sport. I was like, there are two people here mm-hmm. who have an end game. Yeah. I said, and. You're not going to get very much and very far if you're the only person you're serving here. I said so. Somebody tells you what they like, unless it's that fucking weird now there, you just oblige. Yeah, that's just odd. So did he end up doing it? Yeah, he did. He liked it. <laughs> he actually called me at one point, like, cause, you know, we, we broke it off. I like, he called me. It was around like, the pandemic started. And he was like, so come out, come out, come over. I believe what he said was, you willing to risk dying to get some good dick? And I'm thinking, you calling somebody else? It's yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who's coming over? I'm like, who are you sending? Who are you sending? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, <laughs> but no, I was like, no. <laughs> but wow. so fast forward, like he moves and like so he'll like text me. He's like, yeah. I'm like, you know, trying to talk to this girl. So like, it's gotten to where like I kind of feel like I'm like Stifler's mom to him. Mm. You know, like ah. Uh, Actually, he found out. He was like asking me personal questions. He was like, "So, who was your first blowjob ever?" I mean, because like he's clearly young enough. He's still asking these questions, like, "What's your number?" and like, you know, "What's your body count?" Like, "Who was your first BJ?" And so I say the name, and he's like, "Oh, he was my favorite camp counselor growing up." <laughs> and I was like, "Awkward." So next thing I know, like he's over on his phone. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I just texted my group of camp friends and told them that the woman I'm sleeping with gave." <laughs> So blah 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 his first pj and i was like is this guy mentally challenged i mean, um <laughs> i uh, i'm thinking so <laughs> <laughs> um, i think there's um a big immaturity level there wow. he's like straight out of being like you know president of his frat you know he's just very frat daddy but like you know 16 year old boy mindset still i think and yeah like it, this is why it was you know it's this one time at camp. Look, it was like this one time. <laughs> this one time at camp. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, you know. I, I've done some dumb shit, but I don't think I've done anything that dumb. Well, and I'm feeling like I have to defend myself a little bit here. Like I said, it's been dry No, not season. you. No, I'm no, talking about listen, him. No, but I need to explain <laughs> why. Look, <clears throat> it, had been, I'd ha- it had been a dry spell for a second there. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll take something big and dumb yeah. just to... <laughs> Your needs. Uh, I think this guy tops my my mom said that's bad. So. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> wait, for what? Sure. Wait, 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 wait. So I met this stripper at Platinum. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, "Hey, come back to my hotel." So I'm like, "Okay." So I go back to her hotel. 
And she's like, I'm tired. I'm like, well, go to sleep. She's like, I can do what I want. I'm like, okay, calm down, bitch. I'm like, okay. So then like, she's like, uh, turn off the lights. So we turn the lights off and then she's just laying there. And then she's like, Hey, kiss me right here. She like pulled her top down. I was like, uh, okay. And I was like 23 at the time. And then she's like, kiss me right here. And I was like, Oh, my mom said that's bad. <laughs> and then <laughs> I should have stopped there. She's like, well, we're not talking about mom and dad's right now or mom's right now. And I said, my dad said it's bad too. And then she's like, fuck you. <laughs> and, oh. and that was in the video. I didn't get to have sex with her. And then I thought, I was like, okay, the next day I'm going to be able to do it. And she started a period. And then I never saw her again. But I think your guy is worse than me. I know, From I'm, all the stories I just gotten, told this story and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh my God, I hope that people don't hear that. A lot of the stories <laughs> we've gotten so far on this podcast, I think that dude is primo number Bro, one. No, like, okay, he's, like, he's at the top of the list. Now I say this went on for a couple of months. Like, let me, let me clarify. It's not like we were like, he was over all the time or anything like this was a booty call over a couple of period. But I mean, it was like so unsatisfying, you know, it was like easy to cut off when the pandemic hit, but bless him. You know, he actually, he did tell me Is he recently. attractive at least? No, he's hot as shit. Oh, like okay. I, you think, I, I'm not gonna, you think what I'm gonna take mediocre You're, ugly dick? I'm just saying maybe he's just, uh, I mean, Tony, said, would you, okay, do I wait. look like the kind of woman who mm. takes mediocre ugly dick? I thought you were not a judgmental woman. I'm sorry. Actually, no. I'm definitely <laughs> here to objectify some fucking men. Like, um, fuck yeah. I'm like, you big and dumb, but you got a nice looking face. You got decent dick. All right. Well, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I actually am not the type to like go just like, you know, I, I'm not a one night stand kind of person. But uh, yeah, so he he was he was cute. And I kept him around for a minute. And, and I hope that, you know, when he finds his forever home, he is much better equipped for mating season. Oh man! When he goes in heat. What were you about to say, Rel? I can't remember. What other stories do you have? What yep. other stories do I have? God, I mean, like, what kind of stories do you want? Like, tell us your guy stories. Oh my god, y'all! I, I need y'all to know that because I told this story, I like don't feel like I can tell people to go listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, because my mom's gonna be like, Trey, Faith did a podcast. <laughs> She's going to be like, Trey, she said something about eating ass. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah, let's see. Okay, what other stories do I have that are awkward? Um, okay. Okay. Uh, there was a micropenis. Mm. There was a micropenis. Do you want to hear that one? Sure. Okay. Roll, you got it really quiet just now. No, I'm <laughs> really. I was trying to think. <laughs> oh, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. No. Uh, I'm trying to think what my question was. But go ahead, tell us your story, please. Um, Yeah, uh, so I uh, I was like right out. It was like probably like my first year out of college. I maybe had been at the hospital for like a year or two. And so, I mean, I, I think I was like 22, 23. And there was this student CRNA there. And um, they always had like these really fine dudes that were like in the CRNA program coming through, doing their rotations and clinicals. So uh, this guy had been up there for like, you know, the semester for several months and he's really nice. He wasn't my usual type, but I thought, well, you know, that hasn't worked out for me so well so far. So, you know, why not try something different? And so, uh, you know, um, he asked me out and I was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, we went out a couple of times and hung and because, uh, you know, I'm I'm despite the story I just told, I'm actually, you know, not a fast, not a fast chick like I, you know, so, uh, you know, went out with him few times and like finally you know and I, I had also been working with him like I said for a while so I've gotten to know him and uh 
So we finally had gone back to this place. I hadn't had sex in nine months because I'd been like super hung up on the dude that I like cock blocked for two years. And um, <laughs> so uh, I hadn't gotten any in nine months. And I was like, oh, man, like, you know what? Screw it. I'd, he'd come out to like a gig I'd played. And then like, you know, we ended up drinking at the bar afterwards. And I'm not, you know, usually somebody like make out in a bar. But we're so drunk. We're like making out at the bar. And next thing I know was poor Uber and Lyft. And we're in his car and we're driving back to his place on Mud Island. And um we get back and we're having this great conversation and, you know, he, uh, we go and we get McDonald's, like drunk McDonald's and, you know, so it's turning out to be a real wild, fun night. I'm like, hey, I, this is probably the night I'm going to break my dry spell. And uh, we start making out on his couch after we've had, you know, I had my filet of fish because, you know, because <laughs> I'm not gross. And <laughs> I always know a guy's going to stick around if he sees me kill a filet of fish or some chili cheese fries from crystals with my bare hands at three o'clock in the morning. He still wants to smash the next day. But um, so I uh, we're making out on his couch. We end up in his room and he uh, he's doing his thing down there <laughs> for like 20 minutes. And it's not really getting me anywhere because he's not exceptional at it. And I'm pretty drunk. And uh, about this time, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, like, are we going to do this or not, man? Like, we've been drinking all night. Like, I can't, I can't hang in there that much longer. Yeah. And I get that there's such thing as whiskey dick. No, this is not whiskey dick. It's not whiskey dick. Um, so I, I finally, I just try to, like, tell him that he sucks at head by just saying, you know, hey, so um, do you have a condom? And he was like, oh, uh, Yeah. That was a weird way to answer that question. So I'm like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I'm pressuring. And while, you know, you have your face down there. I didn't know, you know, <laughs> assumed you wanted to fuck. So that seems pretty intimate. So uh, I was like, I, well, I mean, if you don't want to, you know, he's like, no, no, it's not that. I'm like, okay, uh, uh, all right. And he's like, no, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's fine. I was like, well, I mean, no offense, but, like, if we're going to do that, like, I was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm probably going to pass out soon. I was like, so if you wanted to, like, we should probably going to move on it. So he like reaches into, he's acting like all weird about it, which is making me feel weird about it. And he reaches into his bedside table, he gets it, and he gets up on top of me. And I reach down, like, you know, get guided in or whatever. And um, what I grab hold of is a Vienna sausage wearing an oversized latex nightcap. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a clip. We Willy Winky was right. Yeah, yeah, I feel like a lesbian, which is fine. Like, I mean, but uh, I'm I'm not. Yeah. And despite what this, <laughs> <laughs> despite what Nancy over here thinks. Oh man. But um, yeah, uh, I'm not a lesbian, and I definitely was like, wow, this is probably the most lesbian thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, you know, because what is an undersized dick but an oversized clit? Am I right? Or am I right? <laughs> and you know, ask China that former wrestler, right? <laughs> so. That's about y'all's generation. I'm sure y'all saw that yeah. thing. That yes, thing looked like did. a toe. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I remember like seeing that on VH1. It was like everybody remembered China's clit. I was like, no, but I'm about to go look it up on the internet right now on my parents' server. Um, yeah, it was really upsetting. And um, in that moment, I just panicked because like I actually felt like I was going to throw up because I felt perverted because I felt like I was like touching a kid or something, and I just felt like so ew. And um, I go. Okay, um, actually, I think this is moving a little too fast. 
So it doesn't count then, right? At, well, after I like begged him to, you know, like I th- not begged him, but was like, you know, twisting his arm to get the condom out. And then I'm like backtracking. And like the minute I touch his dick, I start backtracking. I'm sure he was like, knew exactly what was going on. And then I thought, you cruel, hateful bitch. This man can't control his dick. What if you have some, what if you have weird ass titties and some weird ass nipples? And every time you whip those puppies out, somebody was like, actually, no, could you put your clothes back on? <laughs> <laughs> like, devastated so you know that would be awful so i'm like no you cannot shame this man for his tom thumb and so (laughs) i was like no bitch like you begged for that dick you're gonna take that dick you're gonna take one for the team because like that is just tragic and you know hit this poor this poor man i keep saying man 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 so that i don't get sick and uh so he starts i let him i was like you know actually it's fine so we go for it and he couldn't even like thrust he's like he's like he's like all me just like wagon y'all she's standing up and she's moving her hips left to right he's just like wagon on me like it was like the way you would imagine an old man holding his walker dancing wow just you know did he think he was doing work? Well, that, though, then he rolled over and like passed out, spooning me with his like gross, sticky like bean bag with the jelly bean on top of it stuck against my backside, <laughs> and I just was dying so inside. He finished? Whatever that looked like for him. Wow. But I just kept fantasizing like Benson and Stabler to show up because I felt like a sex crime was occurring. SUV. And I'm not saying that, men, look, um, people are going to be like, this bitch hates, she's out here, like, like you know, every, like, incel's going to be like, we're going right after her. Like, look, he could not help it. And now I know what the hesitation was, but I mean, I've, ever since then, I'm going to be real with y'all, ever since then, I'm always, because I'm not, like, you know, even though I'm telling these very sexual stories, because we're all adults here, and pe- like you said, normalize that people ever yeah. have sex. I'm 33 years old, if I wasn't having sex, I would think that would be more concerning than this story. But... Ever since then, I have a phobia because I won't smash straight up like early on. Mm -hmm. I have this phobia that if I get to like a dude and I decide I want to take that next step. Yeah. I'm always afraid. What if he has a baby dick? Mm. I have a therapist that I talk to about this, too. I mean, like I got like, you know, I go in and I'm like, hey, look, like. What is the thing I posted the other day? Let me I think everybody me. should have a therapist, by the way. But I mean, that what, the things that woman hears from me, I'll be like, look, I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm, I'm into him. And she's like, oh, my God, is this going to be the thing about the baby dicks again? I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, it's about the baby dicks. Like, this is a real thing. <laughs> like baby dicks and bed bugs are my biggest phobias and addicts. But like I've gotten better about the addicts because I've realized that there's not, in fact, a man up there. <laughs> this thing I posted the other day, so I swear to God, if y'all dick size were out open like our asses and breasts a lot of men when body shame women about our sizes laugh my ass off y'all be humble walking around with y'all little business out there <laughs> and they said if you're upset you got a shrimp dick i, I know that's right <laughs> that's 100 percent true for real that's why you know every man should be required to wear gray sweatpants <laughs> year round <laughs> be like what you do a slut <laughs> see what you got <laughs> see that's even worse that he was bad at oral I know. I thought you at least be good at that. Yeah, that's like I know. That's a struggle, man. Man, <laughs> I, you know, he had said something earlier in the night that should have been like red flags. Like, you know, my English teachers in high school would have called this foreshadowing. Um, but he said, you know, it's sad because the last couple of girls I was with, you know, they were married and then they never stuck around. <laughs> <sighs> well, uh, I don't think that counts. Well, because a bad marriage was better than. 
bad sex and bad head. Yeah, I, I don't dad. think that counts as a sexual partner. I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, it, it, look. You just made out with somebody pretty much. I mean, it. W- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he got his wag on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah. That was, there you go. I got a couple of raunchy stories out of me. Leah, would you like to get on the podcast? I want to clarify that it's not because I have a weird butthole. <laughs> I, they're, like, they're like, oh, she's talking all this shit on this dude's little shrimp dick. What's wrong with your asshole? Why don't everybody want to look at your asshole? <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't tell you all about the people who actually DM me asking to. <laughs> I'm just, no, that was a joke. That was a joke. Do a lot of people get in your DMs? No. They really don't, know. Really? No, people are, pro- I mean, like, first of all, if some, like, if some random stranger, I don't know, is like hitting me up for like no reason, I just don't respond mm. because I assume it's a bot. And then like, I have had some dudes, like, I remember I uh, almost died of meningitis in 2017. And I lost like 30 pounds, like 20 or 30 pounds, like really drastically, like rapidly. And, um, some guy like slid in my DMs and was like who I didn't even know and he was like I just want to let you know that like your body was a lot hotter when you were curvier and you're way too skinny wow so that's what I'm saying it's like with women it's like damned if you do damned if you don't so like I mean I've had like a couple things like that but I don't and I get guys who send like you know like googly eyes if I show post a picture of my bathing suit but I mean look if I post a picture in my swimsuit like in like a you know bikini that's like almost thong cut with my butt hanging out I didn't put it on there because I didn't think people were going to look at my butt mm-hmm and yeah, I put it on there because I was going to appreciate every like I got because I like the way my ass looked too, or I wouldn't have put it on the internet. <laughs> it's your page; you can do whatever exactly. you want. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I actually don't deal with a lot of creeps. And and when I do post something and I get some googly eyes, I don't really respond. But I'm not surprised because I did just put that content out there. I think also I'm not very nice when people act that way. So I guess people have kind of you know the few who've tried that you know kind of yeah. backed off over the years. Uh, we asked that question a couple couple podcasts ago, and some some people had some. St- a lot of girls send us stuff. Like they, they, you know, scratch out the guys' names and stuff like that, but they still send us screenshots. And some of these guys are just ball, ballsy, man. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you want to come over and, you know, suck this dick? But then she was like, but when I see this person, he never acts like that. It's like he'll act like, it's like keyboard warrior when you argue with somebody on Facebook or something, you know? It's like he'll say all that stuff, but when you see him in person, you won't say anything to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People get, like, real bold behind the keyboards, Yeah, you know? Saying stuff to women they would never say. Saying stuff to family they would never say. It's like, you know, she said that she called the one guy, this one, well, this one instance, he, she called him out on it, like, when she saw him again at, at which, where she works at. And he was like, oh, 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 I was drunk. I don't, mean, I don't mean to talk like that to you. I'm sorry. And then he sent her another thing, like, a couple days later, like, you know. Yeah, so it's like every time you, so anytime you get drunk, you become a fucking pig. That's what you're telling me, bud. Yeah. So, like, either quit drinking or just don't hit me up when you do. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> actually, the weirdest thing I had happen with a guy um, was back, uh, I guess it was like around 2014. Um, I had put out my first album and had been doing some touring and was, you know, booking a tour to England. And there was this guy who was a blog writer out of Australia who um, my PR agent had, you know, exposed my music to and he you know had written like a couple of like blog stories about me about my album my music and um you know it was always very flattering and then this was back before there was like facebook pages Mm -hmm. really and so um when he sent me a friend request on facebook i had accepted it because i did know who he was and he was 
regularly writing stuff, you know, <clears throat> commenting, tweeting about my music. And so, you know, I did accept this friend request. And I've gotten a lot better about that over the years, um, you know, not just accepting everybody, obviously. And my, like, I got a, my Facebook's been around since 2006. I've got like way too many friends, a lot of people I don't know, simply from the era where everybody would just, oh, I got a friend request, accept. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't realize what a creepy, weird place the internet is. And, uh, so I accepted his friend request and um, he started writing about me like every few days, like for a hot minute. Like, I mean, it was like he would put up a post or he was like tweeting a lot and it was, you know, it was flattering, but it kind of started to get like a little bit weird because um, it wasn't like I was putting out new content and he just kept writing about it. So while it was flattering, it started to get that kind of weird vibe. And um, he started sending me messages that were like, you know, oh, like, looking so hot today in your picture, Faith. And I'm just like, okay, you know, thank you. You know, and I'm, like, in my early 20s at this point, like, early to mid-20s. And then uh, it started getting, like, a little bit more graphic. And next thing I knew, he was sending me, he sent me a string of messages, like, late one night. Like, it was, like, in the middle of the day for me, but it was, like, clearly late in Australia. And so I assumed he was drunk. But he sent me, like, a bunch of messages about how, he wanted to come find me and how he wanted to take me to, he wished that we could be on an island where nobody else knew who, where we were and that he could um, get me drunk on Bailey's and fuck me and that he would like to, you know, do nasty things with me, like with us alone mm. together. And, and it, and it was like, you know, where nobody else would know where we are. And I'm like, oh my God, like you're in Australia. So I'm not like that scared, but like that's fucking in- that's intimidating and freaky and weird and it's scary. Yeah. And especially as like a woman who lives by herself, like, I mean, that's really, it, it was, it was frightening. So I said to him, I said, I do not appreciate or tolerate people speaking to me this way. This is completely inappropriate and I do not appreciate it. And I blocked him and he retaliated by going on Twitter and putting out that I was an ungrateful bitch and that I was, you know, like this ungrateful slut. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I've never even like met you. Like, I've never even entertained a conversation. You know, it was just like, I mean, my PR agent was like texting me. She's like, yeah, he's going fucking nuts, tagging her agency and everything. Like, since he couldn't tag me anymore, talking about like what an ungrateful little bitch I was, what a stupid slut, you know, what a piece of shit that I was trash and he would never talk about my music again. Nobody should book me. Nobody should listen to my album. And it's like, Okay, go off, buddy. Like, go off from, you know, your laptop in your mom's basement. And you're, like, in Mm -hmm. your 40s, like, still live with your mom in Australia. Like, normal. But it was, that was a little bit, that was a long time ago. So that wasn't so much, like, sliding in my DMs, like, in the way you mean. But that was definitely something that was uh, pretty freaky some years ago. Do you all get that a lot? Like, guys that get their ego bruised when you don't want to be with them and they are, like, beautiful, 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 and then they go to attack mode? Kyle? Good morning. Good morning, princess. Thank hey, you. beautiful. And then, fine, bitch. She's like, I'm not talking. Uh, I don't have that problem with him. But, like, honestly, like, I have... Well, like, even in person, I guess. Um, No, not really. You know what, though? Like, I'm a very friendly person. Like, I will take on... I will talk to a wall. Like, I love people. I will strike up a conversation with anybody. And I really, you know, even though, like, I'm on here, like, laughing, telling these stories, I do feel like I carry myself in a way where, unless you're, like, a friend of mine or I feel comfortable with you, like, you would not get the vibe you could speak to me that way. And, um, you know, if I wasn't comfortable with you, then I would not tolerate you speaking to me that way. But um, 
you know, most people I do think have treated me with respect. And I, you know, I have enough, I have plenty of male friends. I'm used to being around guys and, and women, you know, so I, I don't know. It's usually when I'm around dudes, I've much more gotten like a, you know, friendly, like we're buddies vibe than like them trying to, you know, sexualize me and then getting angry. Like, of course, like there's somebody here and there, but no, that's not something I regularly deal with. Most people are very respectful and treat me like a friend and treat me like an equal. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. None of that, like, you know, simp shit where they're like, you know, falling all over and then getting angry. Yeah. You know, now most, most of the guys I would be hanging around are like very respectful friends. That's good. Yeah. And that's a nice thing. Like, actually, I've always been surprised when I do end up in those situations, I feel kind of like caught off guard because I have been fortunate enough to like the men in my life, like outside of my family that have like been consistently in my life, like are genuinely good guys. Like they're not just guys that are being my friends because they secretly like, you know, have this end goal of sleeping with me. They genuinely just want to be my friend. Mm -hmm. And so I've had like a lot of really positive, like male friend role models that, you know, I think that now when I get around guys and if I want to be friends with somebody, I kind of get the vibe of like, you know, who actually truly wants to be my friend and who is just being nice to me because maybe they have ulterior motives. And if I'm not feeling those back, then, you know, I'm not going to probably hang out with them. Yeah. So. Do you have friends like that, Raul? Genuine friends or Trump friends? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always say like most guys would fuck their friend, their female friends, if given the opportunity. Could you see yourself dating any of your genuine friends? No, I'm saying a woman can disassociate. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Oh, I understand what you're saying yeah. now. Like I said, I'm not saying guys and girls cannot be friends, but most guys, I mean, most guys will fuck anything. Let's let's be honest. I've seen some. There's a girl I know. She's a downtowner, and some of my friends have fucked this girl. <laughs> <laughs> some of my friends have Nancy, fucked this girl, Nancy. and I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, she was there. Oh, <laughs> God, this makes me feel bad about myself. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, did anybody ever think that about me? No, but I mean, I guess you kind of thought that about that one guy. Yeah, well, for sure. The micro penis. Yeah. Well, that, that, no, because like I'd been out with him so much. I actually did think he was really nice. And I was like, maybe this could go somewhere. And then I was like so deeply disappointed. Wobble, 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 wobble. Wiggle, wiggle, wobble, wobble. Right, right, right. Like I said, I don't. It wasn't wobble. It was like more like tremor, tremor. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I know girls, some girls that just want dick. They don't want a relationship. Yeah. And then I know some girls that they can't disassociate the two. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just their personal way of thinking. I can't get off if I'm not into the person. Mm. I'm not going to get, like, I, I, I might, it might feel good. I might enjoy it. But, like, I'm not going to come if I'm not into the, if I don't, like, actually feel connection with the dude. If I'm not into him, if I'm not comfortable with him, I'm not going to come. So, mm. like, I've had, like, you know, dudes that I, like, I, like I said, I, I don't do one night stands. Yeah. Um, Look, I was a labor and delivery nurse the majority of my adult career so far. Like, I know everything about sexually transmitted diseases. Oh. And I've made it this far in the game. <laughs> Tainted free. Yeah. Like, free, free of any tainting. So, uh, you know, which is not to shame anybody who's had to deal with that because it is very common. But, like, you know, I'm not out there, like, you know, trying to, like, rack up a body count and, like, you know, get some get some cooties on the side. Um, but 
like I've definitely had relationships where it was definitely like a friends with benefits kind of thing, like a booty call, like, you know, consistent booty call. And it's usually with somebody who I did know well and trusted, but because there weren't feelings there, like it would be like, maybe we do it just because like, I did want to get, you know, maybe I was like horny and in the mood and like, I wanted to have sex, but like, I know that like, I'm probably not going to get off. So like, I think that also like you can have like dudes get off for the most part, unless something's going on most of the time, men will get off like anytime they have sex. Whereas like, I think that, you know, what you have to understand is like women, like, yeah, like everybody wants to get off, but like women can have sex that they enjoy that feels good. And they still may not get off, like have like a full out orgasm, Mm -hmm. but like, I definitely have never had one with somebody who I didn't have like an emotional, like, like actual, like intimate connection to, which also can complicate it. And if you do develop those feelings for somebody in that kind of, you know, relationship, that also can complicate things because like you start getting off, you start enjoying it. You want it more. You're like, oh no, yeah, I got the feelings. (laughs) I saw this thing the other day that said this girl was, she went in for a yearly checkup or whatever. And the lady's like, are you sexually active? And she's like, yes. And she's like, do you have a partner? And she's like, no. And so she have, you have maintenance men. Maintenance men. So basically, that's what you have. Like with your little friends that come over, they're maintenance men. No, not, not yeah, not not like like right now. But yeah, like, <laughs> not like right now. I don't got no maintenance men right now, but uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's like maintenance men. Like I, Ludacris talks about in, in that Minute Man song by Missy Elliott. You mm. know, he, I, you know, in the words, in the in the exquisite words Luda. of Ludacris, <clears throat> and I quote. Because, you know, I just, this is a very profound statement. Okay, it's time to set your clock back about as long as you can. I stopped daylight. It's ludicrous. The maintenance man. (laughs) Get your oil changed. I check fluids and transmission. You one minute fools. You wonder why y'all missing. On the back of milk cartons and there's no reward, no regards, close but it's no cigar. A hard head make a soft ass, but a hard dick makes the sex last. Oh. <laughs> you need to be Lur- audible. Lur- thank Chris. you, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maintenance man. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, you know, sometimes like you start out with one thing, but then if it's going and it turns into something more, somebody's going to have a hurt feelings, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yep. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've, I've been on both sides of that, so. You just kicked them to the curb? And I've been kicked to the curb. Yeah. For sure. Hell yeah. Is it hard to, like, not develop over time feelings for the person? Especially if it's good. Or does it get good with time with the feelings? Um, well, no, like, I mean, I have like, uh, it's well, so I think it just depends. Um, it depends. Uh, so like, I mean, I've had people where I developed feelings during it, but like, I mean, I never thought I would have. And then I have people where like, I didn't ever anticipate any feelings developing and they'd never been there. So, um, 
like I don't see feelings ever develop. Like I'm thinking of like a couple like specific people where I'm like, I like literally can't ever imagine myself ever developing any feelings for them. And usually in those situations, I kind of like end up ultimately just kind of like fizzling it back out to like just a friendship because if I'm not like truly, you know, it starts after a while. It's like, oh, I'm not like really getting anything out of this. Mm. It's like, I know it's there. So if I wanted to, it'd be cool. But like, I mean, like I said, most of my guy friends have never tried to sleep with me. Yeah. Like I honest to God, like actually if one of my guy friends who I truly consider like one of my close friends did try to sleep with me, I would actually feel very disrespected. And um, He's it would be very, con- yeah, it would be very confusing to me if like one of my very close guy friends like tried to like breach that because I, the ones that I'm close to, I've been friends with for a long time and it would be like a little confusing. Um, I've only had one that we were friends for like a really long time and it did, um, develop into something else and it was like romantic, you know, it wasn't just like friends with benefits, but like it also, you know, wasn't going to be a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we made the decision to take the romantic and sexual aspect back out of it in order to not hurt the friendship because we've been friends for like 10 years. Mm. Did it work? Did it work? Yeah, yeah, we're still close. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're still really close. He doesn't live here anymore, but like he wasn't living here at the point that it became, you know, romantic or sexual either. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, like I still, you know, I will now that it's been enough time, like I still sleep with him when I see him, but I... (laughs) (laughs) But like, but you, <laughs> but it was like, you know, we took the time and space to address the emotions. Mm-hmm. So, cause I think for both of us were developing feelings, but we knew at that point we were not in a place where it could have developed into a relationship and the distance was an issue. And I don't think either of us really wanted to move at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, I mean, I've, and I, you know, I've, I've been in situationships where, yeah, I'm like, fuck. You know, it's, I call this, yeah, situationships. Yeah. There's plenty of situationships where people can get their feelings hurt. And I've, like I said, I've, I've definitely had my feelings hurt in plenty of situationships. Is that when you became comfortable with eye contact? Um, eye contact guy? No, I'm saying during sex, like then you're okay with it. If I'm in them? Yeah. Yeah. Why would I like, make deep eye contact while somebody's <laughs> like, no, I want you to make, like, uh, no, you can make eye contact with my butthole. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, to me, you know what? Sex is really, really fun. And it can also be, you know, emotional. And it can also be, you know, spiritual. I think that sex can be many things. And I don't think it has to be one thing all the time with any partner. But I definitely think there's some partners where it's always just strictly fun. Mm-hmm. Like those people, like those friends with benefits where, like, I know there's not going to be any feelings. Like, it's strictly for fun, like... Man, I haven't been late in a while. Like, let's get our yayas out, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, when it's when you're with a partner, like somebody who's like you're actually your partner. Like, even if you're not like in a relationship with that person, if somebody is like your partner, like that you see regularly, that you know you have like an emotional connection with, and you both have that emotional connection, whether it's your boyfriend, whether it's just the person you see, whether it's your husband, you know, or your wife, if you know, or your, you know. I'm not in the LGBTQ community, but I would assume this, you know, like I'm not just speaking about hetero partners. Like I'm, you know, anybody who's in a romantic relationship, I think sexually um, sex can be all those different things. And like, you don't have to, you know, you can make love with your partner one day and you can fuck the shit out of them the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be pulling hair and like grabbing necks and, you know, throwing legs back one night and be making eye contact the next. Yeah. That can even change up like during the same experience. So I, I think that, 
though there's a level of intimacy with eye contact. And so like, if I'm making eye contact with somebody, I've really personally only experienced a guy even trying to do that, initiating that, like when there were feelings and comfort and like some connection, Mm -hmm. you know. Excuse me. So yeah, I mean, it would be like really like it, it was definitely weird when like the 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 twenty three year old was like wanting to make eye contact because it was like, oh sweetheart, like I don't not I don't I don't love you. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't want to gaze into each other's eyes and make love with you. Just rail me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know that guy. That guy's on another level. Yeah, he's next level. Next level. What, are you what was that? What that was, was that? me. Oh, I was like, damn, what was that sound? I thought it was like thunder or something. What about y'all? Eye contact thoughts. We talked about this on the last one, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and Raul was telling me that he doesn't do that unless a woman wants him to do that because he's a attentive lover. He told me. Mm-hmm. I did. I, you, that's pretty much exactly what I said. I know. I listen mm. <laughs> to the podcast because he's, all, because he's also an attentive lover. Yeah, Mister Lover, Lover, Mister Lover. Y'all, I'm sorry I keep like scratching this. I got these extensions put in Wallace Ashley. If you need hair extensions, she's the best. But um, yeah, like this one is. You like say just, Wallace? Uh huh. We know her. I love Wallace. Yeah. yeah, she. I went to high school with her. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Before I went to boarding school. So, um, but yeah, she does my hair and this one little place. It's like what's it called? Downs. Milk and honey or something? Sage and honey. Sage and honey. Yeah. Sage and honey. She's a fun girl. So yeah, yeah. She was like, "Hey, she could go get your haircut one day." And I was like, uh, "What hair? What hair are you talking?" But about? But she can get you. She can put you in some habit hand tied extensions. The fuck is that? Everything you need for your hair. It's this. You see? No, I don't have any hair. That, <laughs> like, I know. I know. That's what I'm going for here. Oh, okay, That's what I'm okay. telling you. <laughs> you think? Look, look. It looks good. My though. hair is about the consistency of a golden retriever's fur, which sounds appealing until you realize that I'm a human being woman. <laughs> so you know, all this extra length. This is from some nice Asian lady who <laughs> let them cut all her hair off in that blonde, and yes. And her hair is nice. It's clearly a lot thicker and upholds better than mine mm. does. So, you know, I I paid for this hair. <laughs> I'm going to ask you all a question. Yeah. Under what circumstances would you snitch on your family or close friends? For what? Just anything. Like, say they did something wrong. Like, say they murdered somebody. Did they murder you? <laughs> <laughs> is that wishful thinking on your part? No, no, I'm saying like the question, not, not, no, oh, not personally, you fuck. <laughs> but like, did they murder you? So if they didn't murder you, then, you know, it's okay. I mean, I'm what? Gonna, How could you snitch on them if they killed you? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not going to snitch on them. That's the whole point. I'm not going to snitch. No, I'm not going to snitch on them. I think you would snitch on your family. But you know what? It depends on what it was. Like, if it was like, I mean, it depends on who or what or why. Because, you know, <laughs> it's always like, I can't believe my boy did that. Like, you know, the people when they come back and find out their kid did something wrong. Yeah, that has, oh, to, be yeah. A, that has to be an absolutely brutal. Or would you take your family in? Say they were a fugitive. Would you take them in? What did they do? They yeah, exactly. Somebody. I mean, like this is, I feel like it's very situational. Let's just steal some Reese's pieces was it like, at the historical cave. Was it their like abusive husband? Was it like they a hit and run? Like what? what is the say, situation? Say it was a hit and run, yes. A hit and run? Yeah. I would... But how would I know about oh, it? Oh, so what I would do is news. I would tell them that they were completely cut out of my life until they turned themselves in and addressed it because th- it's wrong. I think you would snitch. No. I no. would I would put up a boundary and tell them that I did not feel right with the behavior of not coming clean about that and that um, they needed to come clean about that. 
But honestly, if if your if your face is on the TV, they're gonna find you within like a few days. You know, you need, so you don't have to snitch. They're gonna be snitching. <laughs> yeah, that you know, if you if you're on TV, you're 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 gonna get caught regardless. So just sit back and yeah. <laughs> sit back, relax, enjoy the show. <laughs> so then they're gonna remember this and they're gonna come after you. And then you give them some money and let them you know run to another house and then go to another house. Yeah, I yeah. I think I would help my family. I keep them down. Yeah, it depends on the issue. Hit and run, I don't know. I see, I just, I don't know. I think you should turn yourself in. Hmm. I think it's the right thing to do. Because, you know, once they start running, you always have to run, right? Well, there's like, what was that, that Whitey Bulger? I mean, he ran for like the longest time. Who? Is that the White Boy Rick movie? No, um, he's uh, he was like a Boston mobster. I was really fucking Oh, wait, is that the guy they found, like, they found him in Florida or something? Yeah. Yeah. And then he got killed in jail. Yeah. So he ended up getting killed anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a hard question. That's a very hard I'm question. I'm going to go with no. My answer is no. You would not harbor them or you would? I would harbor them. Yeah. You would not. Yes, I would. You don't know <laughs> me, man. I do know you, unfortunately. I'm not going to fucking snitch. I ain't no fucking snitch, bitch. I wouldn't snitch, but I would inc- I would I would deeply encourage them. And I'd be like, hey man, like, be like we we need to have some space in this relationship because I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> Before we do the um the goodbyes, yeah, I got a question for you, Raúl, because it really doesn't pertain to her. Okay. <clears throat> would you rather be ran a train on by five girls with strap-ons or get bukkakeed by ten guys? <laughs> I'm not answering either one of these because honestly, I'm gonna go with the with the girls <laughs> because the other one just feels like being like the community toaster strudel. I am not down with being objectified like that. Oh, man. Um, no, hell no. <laughs> you don't have to suck their dick; they're just coming on you. Yeah, I have you're no babysitting idea. basically. I'm yeah, but then you have to sit there and watch them get to the point. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's like a symphony uh, of masturbators. Like a her, a her. And that's even worse than whoever comes last has to eat the cracker. Oh, God. You know, so like. When was the last time you played that? <laughs> I've never played it. They used to do it in, they used to do it in this club in uh, New York called Studio 54 back in the, like in the 70s and stuff like that. Or whenever it was around, the guy that owned it would get um, the, um, the wait staff, the guys, to, to you know, they, when they got all got off, and whoever whoever won, whoever didn't nut la- or whoever nutted last has to eat, eat whatever it was, mm-hmm. and he took the rest of them on a trip somewhere for the week, and then brought them back. And then to when work. they got there, they had a key party. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Big, <laughs> yeah. Big time. Yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, shit. I don't know, Tony. Um, getting fucked in the ass by <laughs> five girls or getting bukkakeed. Yeah. By 10 guys? Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't even see why you're even debating this, man. Does he have to take it all to the face? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you can wear your glasses so it won't get in your eyes. Yeah, because then they'll think it's an egg and try to burrow it. <laughs> I don't know. To be continued, I will answer this question on the next podcast. Because I got I to wait my... I got I to gotta think about this really carefully. And I don't have enough time right now. So do you think it's gay to have a uh, be pegged? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I don't think it's gay for a man to be pegged, mm. but 
but <laughs> it's kind of sus. But I well, have you ever done it? To a guy? No, no. <laughs> okay, no. That's what I was gonna say. Okay, that's like a huge turnoff to me as a woman. Uh-huh. So like, I don't think it's gay because I know dudes have a prostate, and I'm not gonna like kink shame anybody because like everybody has their kinks. Yeah. I mean, I've got mine. You've got yours. You've got yours. You've got yours. Like, so I'm not gonna kink shame anybody as long as it's between two consenting adults. However, well. Some things are a little far for me. Two girls, one cup now. But, <laughs> oh, um, God. Ugh. God ugh. Terrible throwback. But, yeah, I don't think it's gay, but it's not something I'm into. And if they asked me to do it, I would not be comfortable with it or want to do it. Because I don't like to see my man in a submissive position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to look at his. You know what? <laughs> I finally understand. I finally understand. <laughs> I like to think my asshole's a lot prettier than either of yours, though. <laughs> Do you think that... Also, because girls don't poop, so I mean... Oh, yeah, that's right. His point was moot. (laughs) Do you think that it makes you feel like you're being dominant with a man and you don't want to be dominant in that situation? Yeah. She said she doesn't see her man in a submissive position. Yeah, I don't like to see my man in a submissive... Like, look, I'm a very strong personality. I feel like I have a very alpha female personality. Like, you know, I'm outspoken, I'm, you know, and I'm... You know, I, I'm very, I'm very outspoken. I can be a little bossy sometimes, but I feel like, you know, I'm pretty easy going. But like in the bedroom, like that's one place I definitely like to be more submissive. So I think that, you know, having a guy be like, fuck me, especially like fuck my ass. is <laughs> like, I mean, that's just kind of a lot of a change in dynamic of what I'm into yeah. sexually. I know um, Bad Brad said that. Most women like you, like dominant women, generally are dominant in every aspect of life. But Except like you said, bedroom. in that in the bedroom that you generally want to take yeah. take the load off. Well, because I also like alpha males. Yeah. Like I mean, and I think that's a terrible word. I think that alpha male and alpha female kind of have like both like a negative connotation. But like you know, I'm just I'm not a very I'm a I always stand up for myself. I'm outspoken. I stand by what I believe. And so I, when I say I'm an alpha female, like I'm very sound in who I am. And unapologetic in that, like, with the exception of if I hurt somebody, I need to apologize. But, you know, I like somebody who grabs life by the horns and goes. And I'm like that, except like you said, I don't like to be in that position in the bedroom. Yeah. So, which works out because like, I do like guys that are kind of more of that alpha male. And so, mm-hmm. like, they typically like to be in that role in the bedroom as well. So, I've never actually been asked to peg a dude because <laughs> I, won't, I don't fuck dudes who, like, typically would ask a chick to, like, yeah. put them in that submissive position. I know a girl. She used to fuck her boyfriend in the ass. And she did it at first and she was okay with it. And then she started resenting him. And then she would fuck him harder because she resented him. <laughs> but he enjoyed it more. <laughs> Oh my God. He's like, he like he liked the punishment. Yeah. That sounds painful, man. Um, have y'all seen that uh, position, the sex position people have been talking about, this Amazon? Yes. Remember that video I showed you where it looks like she's fucking him? Yeah. 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 So, like, <laughs> His fucking be... legs are back like this and <laughs> yeah. she's, she's doing the, the shit wobble and just... <laughs> See, like, I'm not down with that either. Like, I would, like, I just, like, I would feel like, I would feel like Princess Fiona taking, like, Lord Farquaad, you know? Like, I would just feel like, yeah, little man, you like that dick? That's my dick now. You know? I would just feel so weird. I would feel yeah. like, a, I feel like, you know, I was a pro wrestler, and he was, like, my midget, and I'm going for him. Come here, little boy. Like, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. But not that, like, that's how I get talked to. <laughs> Come here. And let me bear hug you from the back. But but, um, I wonder, do people, do women who peg their dues, they name their strap on? We should ask Shannon. 
Oh yeah, because I would be like, I'd be like, you ready for Big Bart? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's gay, but like you said, it's uh, it's, a little sus. It's just something that, but it's, it's a just cross like you said for some and people anato- anatomically. Like, I mean, I do have straight guy friends who I do know are very straight who. You know, like I said, I feel very comfortable with my friendships with my guy friends, and I don't think any of them would ever try to be weird with me. So, like, we talk about sex sometimes, and ones I've been friends with for a long time. Yeah. And, like, I definitely know, like, some dudes who are into that because it's, like, the prostate thing. But, like, it's just not for me. What like, about, like, fingers in their butt? I've never put my finger in a dude's butt, but one of my best girlfriends, like, she, like, she's, like, all about it now. You have a friend of ours. She uh, Anytime she gives a guy a blowjob, she slips a finger in. Yeah, one of my friends like ate her dude's ass the other day, and she told me about it. She was like, "I threw his legs back." I go, "Girl," <laughs> I was like, "Did he? Was he shocked?" <laughs> she was like, "If he was, he didn't stop me." Well, I, like with that, <laughs> you know, eating ass is cool, but like, yeah, you got to be like, prepped. It's yeah. got to be clean. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we live in a world where people don't believe in bidets. I have a bidet. I have one too, but I'm just saying, like, I generally, in one generally, the pandemic. yeah, me too. But generally, <laughs> in this culture, you know, it's just wipe your ass and, and you're done. Right? Like, no, baby, <laughs> you got to get some baby wipes in there or some. And then guys are hairy as fuck back there too. Right, 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 right. You know, mm. like you send them to the European wax and you want to like, you want that ass ate. You better yes. go prepare the plate. <laughs> But yeah, no, so, okay, the Amazon thing, I saw the funniest meme, though, and it was like, you know, it was like my my girl wanted to try this new position. It was like, but I've never felt as emasculated as when she's holding my legs behind my head, goes, whose dick is this? <laughs> <laughs> whose dick is this? And I was like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Um, like, Micropenis could definitely not do that move. So hang on, she's texting me back. I said, <laughs> hey, do you have a name for the strap-on you use? And she goes, no, I don't know. He went to some store on Get Real, I believe. Why? Are you looking to buy one? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no. But we think you should. <laughs> yeah, I, I, said, I said, no. Do you, I said, do you have a nickname for it? That's what I was trying to ask. <laughs> like, is it like, go get keys? <laughs> yeah, go. Oh, get buddy. keys. Keithy. <laughs> oh, hang on. Here's the bubbles. Here's the bubbles. What color is it? Find out what color it is. I want to know what color it is. What did it feel like when you used that thing that day? Not that one, but the other. Oh, hang on. So wait, wait. Am I? Have I been manhandling something? Y'all haven't need a clean. (laughs) Nancy, Nancy, um, need a bath, girl. (laughs) She said. I said, do you have the nickname for it? She says, no. We just call it. She's. They don't call it anything besides a dildo. What color is it? Purple. Oh. So is it hard? So the, wait, so wait, you got a purple dildo? You fuck your dude in the ass with, and you didn't name it Tinky Winky. So I'm guessing it's like just a regular. It's actually not like a strap-on, strap-on. Tell her send a picture of it. Okay. So she fucks him harder with it when she's mad. How do they? Cl- not this is a different girl. How many girls y'all know that have dildos they put in their boyfriend's butts? <laughs> I know of two. Okay. Hey, like I said, like no king shaming. I mean, yeah. well, she's not the girl that I was originally talking about. She's not with that guy anymore. But did he leave when it got too rough? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why he was staying. Right. <laughs> She was like, look, I don't really want to do this anymore. He's like, well, then I guess we need to break up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do think it's important to find a partner that's like going to be compatible with the things that you're into, because I think a lot of I'm telling you, like being 33 and having like some friends that got married like earlier in their 20s and stuff, I I swear to you, there's so many people I know that are either acquaintances or friends or former coworkers who have like told me that down the line, finding out things that their partner was into sexually 
created rifts in their relationship because they couldn't grow together intimately in the bedroom because there were some things that were just too uncomfortable for them or it was like a hard no, things mm-hmm. like that. And so then either the partner would take it out elsewhere or the sex life started to crumble where it was not satisfying because obviously this person came to you and was upfront with you about this fantasy or this kink they have because you know, whatever y'all are doing is no longer cutting it at that level of satisfaction where they don't want to incorporate this thing. Yeah. So I think that always like, you know, having a partner that you can be very open with honestly and sexually is really important, especially for like longevity of a relationship. Cause sex, I mean, you know, we can laugh about sex all day, but it's so crucial to a healthy adult relationship. Mm. Somebody told me the other day, they're like, I'd rather have like a good relationship with a person than good sex. I call those friends. Because <laughs> I was like, "That's how can you be in a relationship with somebody and have like no sex or bad sex? Who was it that told us that? It was somebody recently. Was it? Well, I mean, do you, do you have like, do they then have the option to take a lover? I don't think so. No, they're like in a committed relationship with each other. And I think it was Hanin. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but somebody said that You just that like called the person out by name. Oh, no, she's on the podcast. She's on the podcast. Okay. But uh, yeah, I I think you got to have both, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like I, do I don't too. think you can have one with the other because generally, especially if it's a man, the man's probably gonna try to step out, try mm-hmm. to find it somewhere. And sometimes women do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. But um, the thing know. is, men. I mean, human beings like sex, and so I mean, if you're not getting sexually satisfied in like your healthy adult relationship then I think there's a high risk for either person either stepping out or hurting the other, you know. And I guess the thing, too, is I guess the main thing is just people don't talk. Mm -hmm. You know, no one has great communication skills and they don't want to tell somebody. Because we found that a lot with women, especially talking to them on here. They don't want to tell a guy that they don't, the guy's not doing something right or they don't like a certain thing he does or they'll fake an orgasm or whatever. And then that guy will take that, what he's doing with her to somebody else. And then the other person's like, how did this work with somebody else? Like, you know, this is not going to work for me. Trash dick. You should have told us you had trash dick. Yeah, like dick. if I saw, I saw some the other day, it's like you should trash. whisper in his ear and boo instead of faking. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking so hilarious. I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm actually looking at a picture of what she fucks her boyfriend with. Let me see. Please tell me it doesn't have shit on it. It doesn't have shit on it, but it is it is a strap-on, strap-on. <gasps> Did you hear that episode of Call Her Daddy, actually, where she talked about, like, this girl, like, wrote in that she, like, was doing him and, like, pull, like, when she pulled out, like, there was, like... Hershey's Kiss? A Hershey kiss, <laughs> and he reached down and slurped it, and she was like, "We broke up." I oh. was like, "Yeah, I mean, at that point, yeah, you have to. Like, that's just too much. That's wow. just fucking no, disgusting. I did, I did that was not nasty." Hear that one. That's, I actually. Yeah. Oh, is that the one where the guy was like, "No, don't tell us a story," and that go next or something like that? This was on Call Her Daddy. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, they were like, uh, "It was like a letter that somebody written in." It was, it was one of the grossest thing? things I'd ever heard in my entire life. So I'm looking nasty. at the picture of of the strap on that our friend sent Show us. Me. Oh and gosh. I want to say it's at least good seven and a half, eight inches. Does he take it balls deep? I'm pretty sure he does. See, and I have lesbian friends who like, you know, have they, it's they very told, skinny though. Do you, do, do you want to try it? You, you, <laughs> it's bigger than a suppository. Yeah. I would imagine you want something thick though, right? Isn't I don't thick? want anything thick in my butt. Bend over. Bend over. <laughs> Personally, I do not want anything thick in my butt. I think thick would be better than long. I don't know. Because you want to be stretched, right? Isn't that the whole thing with anal? 
Do they make chode ones? <laughs> we get best. We get both. Like a little tiny. <laughs> like only only for anal is like a chode the go to. You get the best of both worlds, just as short as it is thick. <laughs> You're like that's my kind of anal. <laughs> nice and short. Wow. Um. Yeah. It's a. Uh, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> a it? thing. But I've heard that those things, because they're not very flexible. I mean, I've never had sex with a strap on. But, like, I do have, like, a couple of my close friends who are lesbians were telling me that, like, they don't like to use them in their marriage because, like, it's uncomfortable. And I'm sure everybody has different experiences, but they were telling me, like, that for them, they quit using them because it was uncomfortable because, like, it, at the end of the day, isn't you know, a piece of human flesh. And so it has like really not like not as much give. Mm -hmm. And so it can get uncomfortable more easily or hit the wrong angle or. Yeah. I never understood strap. So I would think that that in your butt would probably hurt. She said that he takes the whole thing. Oh, how long is it? Mm. I mean, she's good at measuring. She told us you were four inches. Yeah. What are the metrics of this? (laughs) 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 Oh Oh my God. What was the thing about the size? Did she say she hasn't said anything? Oh. So, what is your advice for people on any, on any, any topic you want to give advice for? It doesn't have to be broad, whatever. Advice. Mm-hmm. That's how we usually end the podcast. Okay. Um. Gosh. Okay. 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 Any kind of advice. Um. One, do not put pasta or rice down your garbage disposal. Okay. Why? It macerates and congeals and breaks it. Oh, I did not know that. Tony, did you know that? I did not. No, we won't do that. I learned that the hard way. Um, two. Okay, let's see. Mm. I feel like there needs to be like a three-piece point of advice. Let's see. Two. What are you at, Denny's? I don't know, even know what that means. Mm. Neither does he. Denny's, like, you know, the fast food restaurant. Yeah, they got rid of the one that was out east, you know. They just put in, they put in like a Zaxby's or something. Yeah. That fell flat. Come on. Yeah. So um, let's see. Okay, yeah. Don't don't put that down your garbage disposal. Um, mm. Don't write a birth plan when you're having your baby. It is like a ticket to the OR. Everybody who writes a birth plan, it's not because like we want to give you a C-section just for writing out your extensive birth plan. It's literally the universe is like plans. Bitch, you just bought your trip straight to the OR. We're going to cut that baby out. I swear to God, every time somebody comes in with a written birth plan, they end up with a C-section. So no pasta down the disposal, no birth plans. Just tell your nurses and doctors what you want if you're having a baby and they'll adhere to that within, you know, what is standard and like, you know, acceptable in the medical world and not dangerous. So, uh, yeah, those are that, those are two. And I'm trying to think if there's like, oh, and um. Hmm. Invest in travel. Mm, I, like I agree with that. Invest in one. travel. Where are some of the cool places you've been? Um. So Israel is my favorite place. Yes. I have not been to as many places as I would have liked to have gone, and that's actually one of the reasons I say invest in travel. When I look at some of the things I've bought myself, with you know things that were equivalent to overseas plane tickets. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, man, I really wish that I had like invested in like experience rather than product. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, but yeah, Israel is was the last like major overseas trip I took and um, is one of my favorite places. It was my second time and I got to go do things I didn't get to do the first time. Cause the first time I was there for Passover. So it was like very family oriented trip um, with my ex. And so his family lived over there. This time I went with my mom and we were able to do like a lot of different types of sightseeing. And whether you're a religious person or not, whether you are, you know, Jewish or Christian or Muslim or, or any, you know, anything um, agnostic, any faith. I think it's so interesting, like, just, like, the rich history that's there. It was really fascinating. And, like, even though it's the size of, like, the state of New Jersey, like, you can be there for three weeks and do something new and, like, learn some piece of history or see something historical, like, any every single day there. Mm. It's really cool from, like, ancient Roman ruins, like, in Caesarea to, you know, the old city of Jerusalem. You know, there's – and you can even go down to, like – you know, the party, like, beach city of a lot, and then cross over into Jordan if you want to go see Petra, which we actually got to do, which was super cool um, while we were there. So it's just, it's a really neat place to go for, you wow. know, nice. the history. How long ago like, go, you know. did you go there? It was uh, September of 2019 was my last time there. What's your next destination you want to go to? Um, So I want to go to Monaco. Okay. In France. Yeah. Yeah. But in for in the United States, I think I want to do like a girls' weekend with like a couple girlfriends to Charleston, South Carolina. I've never been, mm. and um, yeah, it's like one of those places that every time I see pictures, I'm like, that looks like somewhere that is just really, really neat and cool. And I like the I like the architectural stuff. Yeah, kind of reminds me of like uh, I recently saw pictures that a guy I went to boarding school with he took of um back when they first started letting people go into Cuba and stuff. He actually was like I think doing photography maybe for like a travel magazine or something. But he got to go into Havana and take all these pictures. And like I love like New Orleans and Mobile because it has like that old French and old Spanish kind of architecture. Mm -hmm. And so it very much reminded me of New Orleans, but even with like almost brighter colors and like these old like 1960s looking cars and stuff everywhere. So I think that would be a really cool place to travel as well. That's legit. Thinking of Charleston because I know they have similar architecture and maybe segue mentally. Uh, So yeah. Tony, do you have any advice for people? I do not. What's your advice for people today? Be patient and persistent. Results will follow. Did you just look that up? Google. <laughs> Google.com. Oh, my God. Confucius good, say. Good advice. <laughs> Google, Google says good advice to give. Number, fi- number four. Number five, be patient and persistent. That was the top of the queue. So. I think patience is a good thing because I think with the digital age, a lot of us see what people have. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this on Epic's thing, but uh, it's... You know, they want it today. Yeah, we did talk about it because I think I played that clip about Jay-Z talking about Kobe scoring like 61 points. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you know, he has been practicing that day before and all these years before. And But people only want to see like like uh, like Gary Vee say LeBron today or Beyonce today. They don't want to put in the work. They just want the instant shit. And that's not the way the world works. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's true. I think we uh, also have a lot less, you know, a lot less patience as a result, you know, like, you know, obviously, like you said, like impatience is a thing, but like, I mean, I think we have a lot less patience with even our expectations of other people and like our perception of, yeah, when things should materialize. Well, it's like, even with the pandemic, like everybody wants it over right now because it's on their timeline, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's like, we still have to go through waves of this shit before we can get back to quote unquote normal or whatever the new normal is. Mm -hmm. And it's just anything with this pandemic should teach us that, this life is brief as fuck and that 
you need to savor any moment you fucking have. Mm-hmm. So if something takes time, that's a good thing. Also, people aren't usually like dragging through their entire process of getting to where they were when you see them like, you know, actualize that situation or materialize that object, you know, on on social media. Because you, you show know. what you show people what you want them to see. Right. Sure. Like, I mean, social media is your highlight reel. Yeah. You know, it doesn't show all the times you failed getting there or trying to get that thing. Mm-hmm. And then some people that quote unquote have made it haven't really made it. Mm-hmm. And so that the people think that that's what that goal is or that's having that will get make them happy. And it's not always true. Or they've made it in like, you know, some field or area that has no really true longevity. Yeah. You know, you haven't learned how to invest and things like that at that point. You set yourself up for actually possibly being in a not so great place in the future. Mm-hmm. True. Well, I appreciate you doing the podcast. Hey, Thank I you. appreciate y'all having me. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Maybe next time you and Leah could come on together and Leah will I talk. Leah. I mean, Leah, you've literally you been. I don't want to sit here. Leah, I can't I kept you've literally been her. sitting there for three hours and seven minutes and 21, facts, 22, 23 seconds, 24. I mean, you've been here. exactly why I didn't want to sit in here. But hey, guess what? You're on the podcast right now, yeah. though. This, Hi guys! Hey. I was like looking at you during these sex stories, like because I was hoping you were gonna like either stop me or like or give jo- me the join. look, like do your oh. hand across your neck, like shut the fuck yeah. up. Why you're are like you- her publicist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's like stop. Yeah. Oh man, what are we calling this episode? Like baby dicks and buttholes. <laughs> I, I can do Be that. squared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Squared. I mean, um, baby dicks. Yeah, BDB, baby dick butthole. You should get her with the duo. You gotta call it something else now, I guess. Trio duo. Mm. How could it be a, a duo? The duo oh, is yeah. where the play on words is. What is it? Trio. It? Jenna Kaufman and I were thinking about starting a podcast called The Duo. <gasps> oh, you tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. That would be a good I think one. you'd be a good podcaster. Thank you. I thought about doing one with an old friend of mine. Um, for a while, that we we were saying it would be fun if we called it PYTs, petty young things, and just like <laughs> talk to all the shit, like just like talking smack about like anything, like you know, in the media or like just like situations at work as young women. But yeah, no, it never happened. I think but you should do you. it. Thank you. Maybe I can come on a ge- as a guest on the duo on the duo. Yeah. That is hilarious. The duo. We have a studio available for y'all to use. This is actually a great setup. I'm very impressed. Thank you. Thanks. What are you saying thank you for? Thank you for coming on the podcast. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. We love you lots. Bye. Love you too, man.